We are happy to bring you another episode of The Bomb Hole, which is presented by Pub Beer. Uh, first things first, uh, I got to do a quick PSA. Eastone is taking some personal time and will not be with us this show, but he will be back and better than ever. Mikey is temporarily filling in. So we're going to start off with Mikey. Uh, first things first, how we doing? I am doing great, Chris. How are you? Happy to have you in the booth. Happy I'm to be chatting with you. honored to be here. Mm. Thank you. Uh, to my left, we have Forrest Shear in studio today. Forrest, how are you doing? Greetings, Earthlings. <laughs> so good to have you in the booth. Uh, for the people that don't know who you are, uh, I'm going to do a little intro. Uh, Forrest has had a long, diverse career in snowboarding, from filming trick-based video parts with massive cheese wedges, like Chad's Gap, to transitioning to human-powered snowboarding via his splitboard, riding serious high-consequence lines and summoning peaks like Denali. He stands up for what he believes in. He's an activist, a ripping snowboarder, a ripping surfer, a ripping human. It's going to be a great, great show. We're going to start this thing off with a hard-hitting topic, though, Forrest. We're going we're gonna to hit the ground running. I'm going to start with a Patreon question, so thank you to our Patreon members. One of our members is Sean Lucy, and he asks, how does it feel to be solely responsible for having Chad's Gap footage in the Bozrek movie? So let's just jump right into the, the Chad's Gap session and how that came to be. All right. Thanks, Sean, for the question. Um, yeah, Chad's Gap. Uh, Salt Lake City, um, epicenter for snowboarding in my eyes. Moved here to pursue a career. And, you know, um, Grizzly Gulch up Little Cottonwood Canyon. It's a place that kind of has myth and lore for backcountry cheese wedges. Kind of starts in the park, and you kind of work your way up to Grizzly. Um, Chad's Gap Session. Um, let's see. I mean, it's kind of a, a hero story. That's kind of the arc of, of uh, any rad hero story goes in the whole um, myth and lore of um, filmmaking in life, I guess. So, yeah. I mean, how far do we want to get into it? I mean, I think this is like a fascinating story and to provide context, like this is the biggest, baddest jump in snowboarding. Right. And so um, I know it's like a hard hitting topic, but I think it's a fascinating story. So just just get into it. Just dive in. However, as <laughs> deep or shallow as you want to go. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, we were hiking, took Chris up splitboarding yesterday with some of the boys and... Um, I don't know how I found it, but it's Chad's Gap is like literally on Google Maps. You type it in and it tells you right where it is. I thought that was pretty rad for sure. Bomb hole's not on Google Maps. Chad's Gap is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're getting there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's so many iconic jumps up Little Cottonwood, Grizzly Gulch, especially. Flagstaff, Grizzly. I mean, it was always known for these rad quarter pipes. Epic hip jumps, and then I think eventually it worked up to these these gap jumps, and it's kind of the perfect setup where there are these tailing piles, old mines, and the tail tailing piles like the landing. So it was this perfect opportunity. Probably skiers hit them before, and it was like, oh, you build the jump here, and that massive, you know, tailing pile that's your landing. So it's almost like this step up, or in a sense, almost like this Benedict kicker that has like this really 
you know, forgiving landing. So it's like as much airtime as you want, you know, over a hundred feet easily. And you can land on this really perfect run out, which is kind of like the ideal setup for as, you know, physics go and snowboarding when you're bigger, you go, obviously you want somewhat of an easy landing, you know? So, and at that point in time, I think it was, you'd build these big jumps and, you know, it was like, you throw a snowball, you know, you throw a snowball off a cliff and you're like, Oh, that's how fast I got to go. Or maybe that's that sweet spot of that landing I was going to hit. And, um, Chad's gap or pyramid jump, you throw the snowball and it's like, hail Mary, as far as you can go, you know, wind that pitch up and just toss that thing. Yeah. So pretty sick. But, um, yeah, Chad's gap, this was a session. Um, the one that everyone talked about, um, uh, Travis Rice, Ramon DeMarkey. This is from the era of pop. And yeah, massive air hole. Excuse me, bomb hole. We'll, we'll go air hole and then a bomb hole because we're talking about big air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, pop was like an insane year. There's a crazy amount of snow in the Wasatch right now. So, you know, we always kind of go back to like, oh, when was the sixth year? Um, pop was a pretty insane year. This was a year that like Mueller was doing. Um, there's this little rock. What's that rock called at the bottom of kind of rock garden? We, I call it Mueller rock. rock. Yeah, it's Mueller rock. Yeah, yeah exactly. Rock. It's yeah. buried right now. Yeah. We tried to jump off. I hit it. I actually yeah. hit it like a couple, it's small right now, but I hit it last week. Yeah. yeah. And he did this insane method that was like so iconic. Mm-hmm. And it was just this session that kind of went down this winter that kind of Shane and, you know, Hosnick and everybody spearheaded that everybody just came to kind of the Wasatch and primarily Brighton to shred. And um, Travis, obviously, he's up in Jackson. So I think he kind of came down um, a couple times that season. I think we shredded Snowbird together a little bit, um, just homie sessions. Um, But I think he really had his eyes on those gap jumps. Um, Nick Ramon was there like all winter long. But I think just the sessions just kept escalating that year and just more and more and more, bigger, bigger stuff. And at some point, you just run out of shit, bright it. You're like, mm-hmm. all right, we're going to Grizzly. We're going to the gap jumps. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think we started at Pyramid Gap. Um, I think we can go back to kind of the history of that and my first time hitting that kind of different time, but we'll kind of sure. stick to Chad's. Um, so, yeah, we had a session on Pyramid, which was incredible sesh. Um I don't think who else was sessioning with us, but I mean, definitely Ramon and Travis, maybe somebody else during that that session. But um, that was the session that Travis did the double cork. Yeah. First ever front 10 double. Yeah, which was insane. Unreal, ender of pop. Yeah, and being able to witness that live and see that go down, just, mm-hmm. you know, implanted in your brain forever. Yeah. Just kind of slow motion. The way someone does a trick and you've never seen it before, all of a sudden it just like time stops and everything's just like revolving around this trick and someone in the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, those gaps, they kind of, they kind of cycle through like skiers and snowboarders. And it's always kind of a battle of who gets there first, who builds it. it takes like a week to freaking build those things. So, you know, you want to put your time in and if you're not helping build it, you know, etiquette wise, it's so either got to ask to hit it or, you know, it's almost better off just like building it again or I don't know. It's kind of a sticky topic. But um, yeah, we ended up sessioning that pyramid um, 
that gap for pop, um, insane session. Everybody threw down. I think I did like a back sev melon and then a front sev melon off that and maybe a back, switch back one or something like that. And then uh, some. I did some trick where I kind of fucked myself up and like kind of extended my back really hard on the landing. Um, you're kind of high speed throughout the landing into the cat track to where you're kind of unstrapped, hike back up, pull my back really bad, make kind of a mini ragdoll or something happen. And I kind of chilled for that session. And then it was kind of like, all right, what's next? We've hit Pyramid. I think Travis really had his eyes on Chad's. How so, much bigger is Chad's and Pyramid? Like I mean, 30 feet? Yeah, like, probably something like that. You know, once you're over kind of 100 feet, yeah. you kind of just got to be like, yeah. yeah, it's like this much bigger, that much bigger. <laughs> Another factor, too, is that Chad's is like steep down into it, whereas Pyramid has flat before mm -hmm. it, which, yeah. you know, a flat before mm -hmm. where you build a cheese wedge makes a jump much better, mm -hmm. less compression-y, mm -hmm. safer, whereas as Chad's is down to up, which makes it a little bit more dangerous and mm -hmm. scary, sketchier, mm -hmm. I think. Right, right. Sorry to add that context, but yeah. No, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I think um, Pyramid has that opportunity where you can kind of set up and do, you ride in switch a little bit better. You know, but try both, some different tricks. Both, both of these jumps from people that have hit them describe them as like going as fast as your snowboard will like take you and mm -hmm. flying off a jump. Yeah, pretty much. You're hitting you're hitting max velocity. Yeah. These things. It's yeah. like when you kind of think you're going as fast as you can, and you want to be going a little bit faster than that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, Everything in your mind is telling you no. Right. Exactly. You have to just say go. Yeah, you're kind of like time again. Time stands still. It stops. And all of a sudden, you're like, you're. You know, you've hit freaking plaid. Mm -hmm. You're going Pluto off mm -hmm. that thing. <laughs> All right. So how do we how do we land on 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 uh, building Chad's? Okay. So we get to Chad's. Um, another like few day week long build. Um, I think I got hurt on Pyramid enough to where I was like, oh, I'm down to help build Chad's, but it's gonna take me a little while. Um, I think I was chilling at a buddy's house, resting up while kind of the the build was going on and think it just happened pretty quick to where the crew was pretty massive, just kind of friends and fam that kind of helped everyone um, build this thing up and build it. I think up to that time, um, I don't think it had ever been built like that perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And so I think by the time I was ready to get up there, the session was going down like two days later or the next day. And I was like, oh, fuck. Um not really any plans to hit the jump. More just want to be there to support the homies and be there for the session, you know? Yeah. And at that time, it was like, all right, I'm um, going to come up. And, uh, yeah, I think it was like, okay, I'll help bring some stuff up, um, be there for the session. Chad's is a perfect spot because, I mean, both those, it's like peanut galleries, like prime, mm -hmm. prime viewing, stadium seating. Amphitheater. <laughs> right? Yeah. The 300 movies about to be playing. It's like big dogs going down. And um, yeah, so I ended up dragging to a grip load of like freestyle ski pads from mm -hmm. Snowbird. Wow. And I think we were planning on putting them on the trees kind of below Chad's. Mm -hmm. You kind of see this shot 
might be even the opening clip of Pop or just that session where Travis goes and basically lands like in the valley. Back wow. threes, the whole thing, like yeah. 100 feet past. Yeah, I think they have this like little chip <laughs> song from like a golfer. He's like, oh, way past the green. And he's going, he's going, he's gone. <laughs> and he just lands like just barely makes it from, you know, not landing at the bottom of the valley and just bo- getting so bodied to where you'd be done. But he came out unscathed. Great little opening for that session. And um, those guys proceeded to sesh that jump um, via heli. So they were wow. getting helied up to the top from Powderbird Guides at the time. Because that hike is, I mean, the hike to hit the jump is. Yeah, I mean, if you're wild. hiking to hit the jumps, I mean, at Pyramid, I mean, you're going to get a couple, but I mean, yeah. you better be prepared to like be posted up there all day. Mm-hmm. And yes. so for those guys to heli into that thing, that's insane. Yeah. And Sage, when he hit it, I remember he back 12 it years later, but he said that it was like he, it was his last go all. All he had, like he didn't have another goat mm-hmm. in him, mm-hmm. and he's in good shape. Yeah. So it's a pretty draining hike. Yeah. Him. Again, it's after like, a big build. Right. Ha- yeah. You got to hike to the top of this mountain basically to get speed. <clears throat> yeah. And you're hiking bonnet. with eighty pound bags of salt. Occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I, yeah. So stuff. I put these these freestyle pads on the trees at the bottom. You know, Travis, he kind of like hooked a Louie and kind of landed in the valley. But if he would have hit in the trees, he probably would have. Got got smoked mm-hmm. by the trees, but um yeah. So the session kept going. Um, myself, Shane was probably filming on the side. Um, Stan Evans was there. I think maybe like Scott Son of Scott Sullivan and Natalie were there. Um, I don't. Yeah, Hostnick was shooting from the heli. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like a crew, such a squad of like Salt Lake peeps, and then a ton of other kids that like helped build it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a, definitely a day. We were up there all day. Insane session goes down. Some of the most iconic tricks in my eyes and some of the most incredible clips from from Jaw shooting from the heli like crazy. I mean, it was like the back rodeo seven. Back rodeo seven, the chicane. Um, yeah, what dude, insane tricks off that thing. Yeah, it was crazy. Such a succession. And then I think at some point, um, those boys shut it down on that thing, did every sick trick that they could do. And um, proceeded to go back to um, Powderbird Guides, end the session with some beers and a barbecue, and, you know, that was kind of it. And we were all kind of just chilling at the jump, hanging out, having some beers, kicking it, and I think I was just chilling all day, just kind of enjoying the sun, yeah, and I think maybe Shane or maybe Stan was like, yo, the light is getting insane on this thing right now. Best it gets up in the canyon. Mm-hmm. Um, Wasatch and Little Cottonwood, especially, we're like known for our sunsets here. Mm-hmm. And it's like just gets just so money, just gets like purple and yellow and mm-hmm. crazy colors. And all of a sudden, they're like, dude, someone should go up and hit this thing. This thing looks insane. <laughs> you know? Someone. Right. Somebody. Who was someone, that? Who's, yeah. Who would? Uh, <laughs> you some, mentioned someone, Bozrek. Someone, yeah. should, someone yeah. should do that. Yeah, yeah. Bozrek should have hit that thing for sure. Um, but no, I. I remember there was a couple other kids and yeah, I think I was like, all right, fuck it. Let's go check this thing out. Mm-hmm. And I had like, you know, made the call. I was like, let's freaking someone hit this thing with me. It's no way I want to yeah. hit this thing by myself. End of the day, running's just like, just so shady. Getting iced up. Yeah. You don't even know what's going on. And I think what happened, I went up to the run in 
Um, these guys were getting hellied from the top, so you couldn't really tell where they started. Mm. So it was like, where do you go from? So it was all like physics. Again, it's like, throw the snowball. Where are you going to land? You, you know, you want to overshoot it, but you don't want to land in the valley. So it's like, and then you don't want to come up short on that thing. Do not want to come up you short. You don't want to go full uh I might rather, I'd almost rather come up short than go over it. No, because that can get <laughs> rock hard sometimes. Oh, really? Yeah, there's oh, like. Well, T. Hall broke, broke both his ankles. Coming yeah. up short. Coming yeah. up short Ooh. on that thing. <laughs> Okay, I take that back. Yeah. I think that was after this, but um, yeah, I mean, those like the type of things where it's like, oh, Billy died off that thing. Do you really want to hit that? Mm -hmm. But yeah, you never know until you go. So it's like, all right, I think this is a good spot to drop in. Looking pretty good. I think my grandma just like passed away recently or something like that at the time, and it was like going through my head. All right, this one's this one's for grandma, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, respect and, you know, thinking about just all the kind of things in your head at the time and kind of about the canyon and about being a local and fuck it, this is my time to shine, so might as well hit this thing. Um, proceeded to go down the run-in, maybe a couple quick kind of like a couple scrubs, but kind of straight and proceeded to do a back three off it, cleared it. Kind of a little bobble in the landing, but enough to where I was like, oh, this thing's kind of sick, actually. I'm like, I'm going to go hit it again. And all of a sudden, like, oh, everybody's like, oh, shit, that was sick, dude. Mm-hmm. You know? And Jesus, then, we're flowing. Exactly. Enough yeah. to be like, oh, I want to go get a trick up this yeah. thing. Yeah. So Shook proceeded. the cobwebs off. Yeah. Proceeded to go back up. Kind of dial my scene in a little bit more. Um, I was thinking, I, was, I think I was riding in the Lion Peter Strom at the time with like a like a freaking chef knife on the bottom. So it was like a sick board. Definitely in my mind, I was in the zone and proceeded to do a back five off it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, landed in a pretty sweet spot, ended up riding out, and it ended up being right after I landed, sun went down and kind of like dream scenario. Yeah, and it was like one of those things that everyone there did it for myself and did it for the homies, and we didn't really talk about it after that. And maybe I think Stan had obviously shot photo. Um, I don't think it was probably Digi at the time. I don't think it was film. But it, and then when he sent it to me, like three or four days later, I was chilling. And then I was like, "Holy shit!" Mm-hmm. Ended up being this crazy. The photo's insane. Crazy shot. Yeah, the sun's going down, and I'm basically like airing over an airplane, like <laughs> over Mount Superior in the sky, where you're just like dropping out of the sky yeah. on a back five, yeah. grabbing Indy, and it just looked. Looked epic, so mm-hmm. orange yeah. Alpenglow. Yeah, yeah just like such a rad opportunity and a rad time to hit it, and ended up yeah being a session that kind of went down in the history books. And for me, it was kind of a, a breakthrough time where I think we ended up using the shot in the credits in Pop, mm-hmm. and it ended up being this kind of like secret movie mm-hmm. in Pop at mm-hmm. the very end. And I would always get people to come up to me and be like, "Whoa, what's up with that film?" And mm-hmm. And I think um, Justin put, like, we kind of made a little scenario where it was like, oh, Forrest wasn't allowed to hit the jump, and he hit it anyway. Yeah. So it ended up being this crazy buildup and this rad, you know, time. And it was cool because a lot of those jumps up there are kind of originated from Chad's Gap is the skier dude, and he mm-hmm. was this dishwasher at Alta. Mm-hmm. And he was just like this nobody that was known for 
freaking jumping over mountains. Mm-hmm. So it's like Chad's Gap. Yeah. So it's rad that to kind of keep that going, mm-hmm. that kind of history of like locals yeah. shredding shit and kind of keeping it core mm-hmm. in my eyes. So it was rad to be a part of that without even kind of thinking about it. It just kind of happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. That's special. And you, you know, most people in snowboarding are big cottonwood, Brighton Lokes. Yeah. And you were a little cottonwood snowbird guy. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of your backyard for the people that are unfamiliar, mm-hmm. you know. That's for huge. sure. So that's Yeah, I mean, little cottonwood and little cottonwood big. I was thinking about this yesterday, but big was always known for LeBlanc, Jeremy and JP, you know. For me, it was like Brandon Ruff, Timmy mm-hmm. Osler. It was like dudes that I thought were so rad, mm-hmm. so insane. And I remember, yeah, I originally grew up in California, Southern California kid, Grew up doing surf contests before snowboarding and had some buddies that moved to Utah. This was like the time where like wood rails, it was rainbow rails. It was mm-hmm. like some J2 yep. rad like stuff happening on rainbows. And I saw those at, at Brighton, super mm-hmm. fun, shredded those. And then at some point, I think my homies rode at Brighton, but they like worked at Snowbird because Snowbird was like a big resort. So it was like, there's plenty of jobs for people to do. You're like a ski bum. Mm-hmm. You freaking worked at the resort. That's what you did back then. Mm-hmm. And um, Snowbird was just this spot that I was like, all right, I think I'm going to like make it work. And it was something to me that was like, oh, I grew up in the surf world and this community of kind of tight-knit people. And I kind of saw that with kind of the ski snowboard community, especially in Little Cottonwood. And it was this spot that, you know, either you, I mean, People from the West Coast, they didn't really don't they don't really move to the East Coast. It's not like a thing. We don't want to get hit ice. We mm-hmm. eventually, I think everyone's goal is to kind of move to sunny mm-hmm. surf waves, powder. So it was like everyone from the East that I talked to, they're like, "Yeah, we, I was trying to make it to California. We're gonna make it to Tahoe, but I had this insane day in Little Cottonwood. I never left, man. <laughs> I was there one day, and I'm 20 years later. I'm yeah. still in that same spot. Yeah." So it was this rad place for me that was like, whoa, this is kind of close to kind of surf world and pretty rad. And yeah, and it was the time where there was the heads at Brighton, but at Snowbird there was, you know, Mikey Bassich, Tina Bassich, MCA from the Beastie Boys, mm-hmm. Mark Frank Montoya, mm-hmm. Cody Dresser even rode there. It was Bjorn like, Linus. Bjorn Linus guys. and Eric. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was insane, you know, and it was like such a rad time where i mean i moved to salt lake with like a 152 yeah i had no idea what i was thinking and all of a sudden it was like i got to snowbird and yeah i probably could have been fine on a 152 set it back point it straight down the mountain but there was all these like cat tracks and weird little spots you had to keep your speed so it's kind of one of those places that you kind of got really good figuring out where to kind of you know gain that momentum hit this thing hit that um yeah, and for me, it was just the spot that I fit in. It was rad. There was like, this was the time where snowboarding was at that crazy rock star level of, you know, Sean Palmer or like, you know, Mikey Bassett even then was like, these guys were gods. It was like insane. Andy Hetzel was like, he was like the dude there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was like, these guys were so scary and like intimidating and just more so their style of riding. It was like bombing down a mountain. And we had these dudes, there was this dude named Ox at Snowbird. Mm-hmm. And you would hear about this dude and with a name like Ox, it's like, bro's just going to huck it down the whole freaking mountain. You know? Yeah. And yeah, to where Brighton we had, there's cliff names and 
I mean, all resorts have their names. Everybody at locals kind of, you know. And at Snowbird, we had like Jaws. We had like Upper Cirque. We had Silver Fox. Yeah, there's this film, Better Off Dead. And then there's a sequence of like these dudes at Snowbird and it's like labeled Southern California. And they're like at the top of the mountain taking lines of snow. And they're like, dude, let's go drop this thing. I want my two dollars, and yeah. he ends up like chasing this dude off a uh, hellgate off the cliff. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> fucked up. So yeah, little Cotton's pretty rad. Yeah. I mean, it goes from there, like all the way back to, you know, the origination of like the avalanche transceiver, and you know, knowledge about studying avalanches. It kind of all somewhat originated from Little Cottonwood. Mm. It's pretty rad, and they're still, you know, to this day using howitzers with like missile freaking launchers to mm-hmm. freaking do AVI safety up there. Yeah. Which is pretty rare. There's mm-hmm. only a few places in the US that are allowed to use those. Yeah. Little Cottonwood. UDOT's one of those to like maintain the roads. Yeah. 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 We were stuck in powder prison uh, yesterday where yeah. the road closed and we were the only ones up there. Can't go down. <laughs> Sounds and, uh, rough. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. rare. Yeah. I mean back in the day it would happen and then now, you know, there's so much snow these days. Mm-hmm. You're you're bound to get stuck up there. Now, one thing I want to check out with you uh, is a, p- a piece of advice that you gave me years ago. I think we were hiking around Brighton, film with Shane and stuff. And you just mentioned to me, you're like, hey, when you hike, you know, you, you know, I'm a street kid, don't know much about the mountains. You're like, you should fully extend your leg with each step to conserve energy. Uh, where'd you come up with that? Or where'd you learn that? Explain that philosophy. Yeah, you were telling me that the other day, and I was I trying think about to re- every time I go riding. <laughs> You've told me that before, and I think about it. Too. Yeah, I was trying to remind myself of where I thought that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it was probably a process of the split board kind of part of my life, and then maybe back to like hiking these gap jumps and little cottonwood, and just like spending so much time mm-hmm. in spring mm-hmm. walking up this mountain and trying to con- conserve hours. energy to like go shred and hit something big. So it's like. You know, we all have these like whatever little things that we do in our head. And for then it was like, okay, I'm going to go full extension, take mm-hmm. a breath, you know, do some qigong, awaken the doors of life. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was like this extension. Yeah. It's like kind of locking it in, um, using your, you know, your, your lower body and really getting those glutes firing and uh, getting those quads in shape. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Instead of, yeah. instead of like, if you're, if you're constantly bending your leg, you're in more, you're using more muscles cause you're kind of in like a squat as opposed to like locking it out and conserving energy is the theory. Yeah. And I think it would like give you a little time to kind of give that quad a sec to rest and mm. then kind of reset. Mm. So, you know, you think of your quads as like pistons. So that's like your machine, your, mm-hmm. you know, your body's like, you are what you eat. So you want to make sure you take care of that body and make sure those, those things are firing at all times. So it's like, give them a little break on that hike up, give them a little quick rest. So you, you put some race gas in your machine or what do you, you run an 84, you run in, you know, high octane. Cause it sounds like you're, you're a high performance machine. I mean, about I think it's feel. like pure acai in there. <laughs> <laughs> Get the purple juice going. <laughs> Superfood acai, some granola. Yeah. This guy's a gallon of water. He's ready to go. Right, a little mate. I think I mix it up on everything. You know, a little, a little coffee, a little mate, a little green tea, matcha. Mm-hmm. And then I know I'm definitely into all everything that Mike does yeah. in terms of his right. his fitness and his level of maintaining 
the the positive vibe that that he <laughs> emanates. You know. Well, thank you. Well, I've been mostly eating like Captain Crunch lately. I don't know if that, like, <laughs> well, you know, it's crazy counts. if you right if like, the crazy marathon runners like have you ever seen their diets? They're, they oh, it's messed. Any, they're like they're, yeah. they're just calories. They just yeah. take a whole plate of just shit food. You know, we're talking pancakes, like just, like peanut butter on top of the pancakes and they, they'll eat a pile of food this big right before the race yeah and it's like he's yeah. basically that's what he is yeah he's like a he's like an ultra runner <laughs> for snowboarding yeah we were in the car going back to tahoe myself and jones one time with um my friend claire gallagher she's a, a patagonia trail runner and we're like what do you eat like what's your like what's your routine and she's like oh just give me the cake batter and i just eat a whole bucket of it before wow. a, a you know a hundred mile race an ultra and she's known for just like crushing insane results in, on these 100 mile races. And you're just like, whoa, that's insane. You don't have that same mantra for big tour, tours or no? <laughs> a little bit. I mean, I eventually get there. I mean, I think what we're getting at is you can kind of eat anything. You just burn everything off so quick, you know? Mm. And that's kind of always been my mentality of exercise. It's like always just be doing something, mm. you know? Don't, Keeping it moving. Yeah, just don't keep stationary all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the goal in life is as long as you keep moving. You know, you make it to 50, you make it to 100. Yeah. And you keep shredding, sure. dude. I don't think I'll be doing like a McTwist when I'm 100, like Todd or, or Hawking, <laughs> but uh, maybe I'll do a back one or a method or just What about just a sweet back five turn. chads at, at 100? Yeah, back five chads at 100? Yeah. I mean, just throw me in some cryotherapy and <laughs> get me up there on solo. You, you, it's like you <laughs> land it, you're a golden god, you or you die on the battlefield with some honor, like a true legend. Yeah, just freaking smoke me. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just get me out there. We were talking about. I like. I like this uh, skin track talk because uh, you know you you said this yesterday. I feel feel like my legs are pistons, and and I always think about you know since I'm such a big split boarder, you know, obviously spend so much time back there, almost as much as you. No, but I like to think about the fact that you know you're, you focus on your heart rate. And your heart rate is kind of like your RPM gauge. And so when you're splitboarding, you know, a lot of times a rookie move is you're jacked up to go splitboarding. You're kind of sprinting right out of the gate, and then you kind of gas yourself out. But, like, I noticed you guys are like train engines. You know, you just slow and steady. And it's like, oh, we're in a steep section. All right, I can feel my, my heart rate's jacking way up because it's kind of – I'm breathing heavy. I'll, j- I'll dumb the pace down a little bit. Oh, this section's flat. I can kind of I can bump the pace up because my heart rate's staying mellow because it's flat right. right here. And so, like, I feel like maintaining a, a like a regulated middle of the road heart rate is how you go for a long time without stopping, which is the goal while touring. Yeah, I think as long as you're not stopping, as long as you're like we're gonna get somewhere today, then I think that's the goal. But I think I heard Jones say at some point it's like you don't want to be going too fast to where you can't be talking banter. Because if you're going too fast and you can't continue that conversation, then it's like slow it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's banter pace. It's banter pace for you sure. Just keep a good banter pace. Yeah, I mean, like the Wasatch, the Los Angeles, it's known for these like steep ass skin tracks in the whole touring community. And it's like, dude, you really, bro, do you have to go straight up that thing? And it's like, who are you impressing? Just your buddy behind you, or you're trying to impress freaking the other dude over here it's the ski mowers putting know? in that one the ski mowers put that <laughs> yeah in. it's like come on it's like we're trying to get more friends out here and enjoy this so it's put in a like a chill skin track and yeah. you know the switchback doesn't have to be yeah you know just make it a little just a little bit bigger and we'll enjoy it a little bit more we're still gonna get the same amount of runs in 
You know, you know what's so cool about skin tracks is like I always look at animals' game trails when you're seeing them in the <laughs> snow, and they they take the mountain diagonally too. Yeah, and you're like these, these see these these animals, these elk and these deer. They know how to they know how to navigate around these yeah. mountains. They ha- they basically put a skin track and they zigzag right? up through yeah. the mountains just like, you know, it's it's the ski mowers that go straight up. <laughs> it's their fault. Yeah, one of the things I've always been into is uh, desire paths, and that's you know what that is, Mike. Mm-mm. So desire path is when you see like. Uh, an architect dude, he builds like city planning and they got the street that goes like, you know, might have an L to it, might have a little like curve. Mm-hmm. And desire path is kind of that pathway that someone kind of takes through the grass and all of a mm-hmm. sudden that's the trail too. Yeah. You know, so it's like, if you want to go this way, go this way. You know, if you're if you're a mountain goat over there, you're going to the top of the peak, that's all you. So it's like whatever way you're feeling, mm-hmm. yeah, might as well take it. Yeah. Yeah. Back that. All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you about one of our sponsors, Sunbum. Their motto is trust the bum. Mm. And uh, we do trust them. I trust them. We got a couple of friends that ride for Sunbum. They support good people. Who? Who are we talking? Big uh, names? or Huge. We got Jill Perkins. We got Brian Fox. I think Parker Blake Zubelski. Paul. Blake Paul, too, yeah. right? And B. Proddy. B. Proddy is about as big as it gets these days. Yeah. Second. I borrowed sunscreen from at least three of those. Mm. I always forget mine. Yeah, I run the... Uh, SPF 50 mineral stick. It's like a little glue stick keeping your pocket. Mm-hmm. Keep yourself lathered up. Uh, it's important to realize that even if you're snowboarding, you can still get nuked by the sun. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I use it, Chris, on uh, even cloudy days. Mm-hmm. The UV will really get you, especially if you're exercising and sweating. You know, put it on in the, on a cloudy day. It also, I find it helps with windburn and other things, too. Well, if you want to support Sunbum, uh, be sure to buy it at your local surf shop or local snowboard shop. They are a good brand that support good people. So, uh, yeah, vote with your dollars and support Sunbum. All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Liquid Death. We've been annihilating these cans on the show. Uh, They look like beers, but they're just water. But big news, they actually have teas now. Jules, did you hear that? What's What's your favorite flavor? You know, I've tried all three of them, and I like them all a lot, but I think Rest in Peach is my favorite. It's just really refreshing, and it tastes pretty healthy. Mm, healthy taste. Love that. I'm an armless Palmer guy myself. I like the Arnie P. I like golfing. It's a great tea. So uh, definitely check out Liquid Death's new teas coming out right now. Uh, basically, they're available with free shipping on Amazon and retailers near you. As an added bonus, the Bombhole listeners get 20% off their first Liquid Death apparel purchase available exclusively at liquiddeath.com slash bombhole. Exclusions may apply. That's liquiddeath.com slash bombhole and murder your thirst with these new teas. All right. We're going to get into a guest question. This is a guest question from none other than the man I refer to as BMJJ. Big Mountain Jeremy Jones. Absolute legend. Here we go. What up, Forrest? Jeremy Jones here. Uh, You are one of the most badass multi-sport sideways wizards I know and I'm curious uh, you got two paths one is to perfect firing serve one is to perfect untouched stable powder which path are you taking cheers brother let's make some turns (laughs) question from the boss thanks JJ love that dude Um, always an inspo try to surround yourself with people that inspire you and um, that dude for sure kind of the evolution of his whole career. We all kind of inspire and aspire to to get there. So, shouts, 
Big time. Um, perfect surf or perfect snow? That's probably, you know, that's the, that's the biggest duality out there, you know? <laughs> In my head, it's kind of always spinning the whole time, the kind of yin and yang of kind of water and mountain. Mm-hmm. It's about as philosophical as we can get, but uh, I'm, going, I'm going snow. Mm. Yeah, yeah, just I'm going snow. Because you're on a snowboard show, but like, because you feel like you have to, or just because? No, I mean, just because that's kind of, that's where my head's at right now. I'm winter, you know, and at some point I'll probably phase out and just surf. You know, it's like we always kind of talk about that surfing's that sport that um, unless you grew up doing it, it takes a lifetime to master, mm-hmm. you know, and it also is that sport where it's kind of low impact. So that is the sport that, you know, you don't really have an expiration date. You can kind of do it until, you know, you fall over and keel. <laughs> Actually, that's the way I want to go is like on some sick wave mm-hmm. and literally with my GoPro on shooting myself and just like zend out. <laughs> <laughs> just keel over in the waves yeah you know but dude i don't know i mean snow is surf was my first love but snow is where i'm at right now and i just got too much uh too much love for the sport and, and the community and all my friends i think my goal is to get all the snowboarders in the ocean you know mm-hmm. but it's kind of like it takes time you know yeah surfing is like i'm so lucky that i grew up doing it and that I learned that first and foremost, it was like surf and skate. Because most snowboard heads that I hang with, they learn later in life. And they're like, this is sucks, dude. Mm-hmm. This is like so hard to do it. <laughs> they enjoy it. It's like we love being in the water. And they're like, dude, why did I pick the snow route? I could be like sitting on a beach with hot babes, <laughs> drinking a beer and like like Tavarua or like Pipeline. It's like pick the wrong one. And for me, dude, I, I don't know. I grew up surfing and doing surf contests from a young age. Um, yeah, it was like my name was Forrest, so it was like drawn to the mountain. It's mm-hmm. so like if my name was like Reef or Coco, then it was like pro surfer all the way. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was Forrest, so I was like, all right, I guess I'm destined to be in the mountain. So, mm-hmm. you know, eventually so, made it so there. How did you go from being uh, Forrest getting shacked to Forrest uh, whacking toe sides uh, on on fingers and cornices. Like, how did you how did you get from SoCal to the mountains? What did that look like? Yeah, it was, you know, a process of um, when you're growing up, you always want to do something that you, your parents never really allowed you to do or something that was just kind of far out of reach. And, you know, my parents were hippies, so it's like, you know, there was like, I don't know, it was like everything was like granola back then. <laughs> Yeah, I grew up being a vegetarian. Oh, I want to go like ride motorcycles and dirt bikes. I want to get around stuff that like is gnarly and scares scares me, you know. But um, growing up in the ocean, I mean, that was my first sense of wilderness. That was like my first wild place, and it was so rad that it was like a stone's throw from my house growing up. Mm-hmm. And it was like a place, you know, back then. Parents are so worried about their kids these days. It's like, you know, you got your phone, you're always checking in. And then it was like, mom's like, drop you off at the beach. I'll see you at dinner, you know. You and your buddies are like, you're on your own, mm-hmm. which was great, you know. And we, you know, pre-Instagram just kind of be out there surfing all day long, you know. Mm-hmm. You needed food, you'd like scrunch up some money and like walk up to Burger King on the freaking military base at Trestles. Mm-hmm. It was like... <laughs> You know, you'd figure it out for yourself. You know, you'd get it. Some dude, old dude would run over you on a freaking longboard. You'd like scrub it off and be like, ah, oh, that was gnarly, but I want to get back out there and get more waves. Yeah. 
you know? But for me, it was like, snowboarding was that thing that was like just out of reach that I was like, oh, I want to explore the mountains. I want to get up there eventually. And then it was by any means necessary in high school. It was like ditch school, get a ride up to, to Big Bear. I grew up in Dana Point, which is kind of sleepy beach town. Doheny. Yeah, known for Doheny. That's where I learned to surf. It was kind of a definitely a, a surf lore spot. Funny enough, that's where like snowboarder was based for years, which is pretty rad. Kind of a hub of action sports. And early on, it was kind of destined to end up you know, in the surf world or kind of the action sports community. You know, I had friends that um, grew up and, you know, ended up starting Volcom, Troy Ecker and Richard Wolcott, badass dudes. Um, Friends that started Nixon, Chad Danana. Um, So many legends that went on to do rad stuff when many times got offered a job to where if I would have took that job and took that route, I'd probably be pretty well off and, you know, on that path mm-hmm. of marketing. But I chose to kind of follow my passion, and that was snow. And Utah at the time was that place. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where I wanted to be. Yeah. What age did you move from SoCal to Utah? Yeah, I mean, it was right after high school. So it was kind of like just jumped right into a snowboard university mm-hmm. and kind of took that on and, um, you know, yeah, it was eventually kind of, you know, through snowboarding, it's so cool that we have this opportunity to meet people around the world and travel to places like that. You know, snowboarding is kind of that gateway, you know, and that mode of operation that eventually gets you to a place, you know. If, when people travel, it's like, why do they travel? Maybe some people do it just for like, oh, I want to go check out Thailand or check out this place. But some of you are like, oh, I like watches. I want to go to Switzerland and see watches. But for us, it's like snowboarding brings you to japan it brings you to like sweden brings you to alaska these places that are like you know you wouldn't really normally go to just like pick it like as that's your destination and so for snowboarding it's like i have incredible friends all around the world that i've you know established lifelong friendships with these people and now you know forest is that funny ass name that i always got teased about as a kid and it was like forrest gump was out and you know i've had a dollar for every person that told me to run or mm-hmm. do something for sure. You got hella nicknames though, right? Yeah, so it's like, yeah, in Europe it's Foriega that kind of came from Peter Strom and my Swedish friends. Fori is kind mm-hmm. of a Utah one. Yep. Um, Bosque, that's down in um, the Spanish-speaking countries. And uh, Mori, Mori-san, that's, uh, that's Japanese. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I love that you have so many nicknames, first of all. <laughs> it's amazing. And uh, I remember seeing you grow up when, you know, I first saw you on the scene. It was an Alliant board, which Alliant was sick-ass company. Mm-hmm. Really good team. Good team. Um, <clears throat> what were the early sponsors? What did they look like? Yeah, the early sponsors, um, we were munching down at Asa Ebola this morning with a ton of granola, and I was telling Chris that, Right off the bat, it was like, damn, if I'm going to be like a kind of dirtbag snowboarder, I should probably think about what I'm going to eat. You know, I can't eat a dollar burger from Del Taco every day. You know, it's kind of going to get old. I'm probably going to get sick of that. So I was like, oh, dang. Cliff Bar. There's like bars. I can actually like approach this brand and maybe they'd be down with like flowing me like food mm-hmm. and keep me sustained out there. <laughs> so some of my first sponsors were like Sambazon Acai. Um, guayaki yerba mate, just 
mega granola. Just, Always been crunchy. You know, oh, just wow. keep it crunchy. crunchy. And then Cliff Bar was one of the first ones. But um, yeah, I think it was through, at the time, um, with a lion, because a lion was like a pretty rad um, time of my life um, as I was just really focused on backcountry jumps. And it was, I think it was through Shane and a lot of homies that this was a time where it was like Forum was already doing their thing. They had their Forum 8. And at the same time, I think a kind of a lion was forming. And they might have got like a little, you know, note from Shane and, and Jamil and his crew mm-hmm. that kind of had this alliance going on. And it was like something that was like, whoa, alliance, that's pretty rad. And I think from Igmar, Igmar started on Type A at first. And Type A was insane, like one of the most mm-hmm. all-time greatest logos ever in yep. snowboarding. For sure. And that was like Nate Cole. Best style. You know, Ig- Igmar. And it was like, you know, still today, even people that are like, you know, his part in Meltdown Project is like mm-hmm. probably. And substance and Meltdown Project. Yeah, exactly. Some of the most mm-hmm. insane parts ever. Mm-hmm. So I think Igmar went from type a and then atlantis that kind of blew up that whole thing with daniel frank and mm-hmm. then i think they started a lion which mm-hmm. kind of was under the radar and all of a sudden they came out with this sick team and it was kind of sweden and japan mm-hmm. it was like mike miyazawa and gregor Haglund that started it with ingo but um yeah they came out with this crazy swedish team and it was like all the legends from kind of snowboarding that kind of era of like Cebu kolberg Satu, Jakob Sangevist, um, Peter Strom, just mm-hmm. freaking rad-ass dudes that were kind of in the mix in the U.S., but not quite. I mean, I think this was like when the whole Scando kind of revolution, mm-hmm. kind of first wave hit, kind of before Yoni, Machman, and Yoni yeah. Ami, and yeah. um, Ami and those guys. Yeah, Vile. And yeah, and Vile was part of that too. I mean, yeah. just legends, just like the best style that mm-hmm. I think really kind of propelled where we were in the U.S. to kind of add in those tricks and add in maybe a little style in there. Yeah, it's a little bit more, I mean, everybody has rad style, so it's just kind of all really depends on what you kind of see there. But, um, yeah, it was like these rad dudes from Sweden, and all of a sudden they had like Kale Stevens, Mm -hmm. my buddy Babs Charlet from Chamonix. Um, Give that dude an air horn, Babs. And so, Kale Stevens. Yeah, and Kale, dude. <laughs> Kale's the man. I love fucking Kale so much. But um, yeah, Babs was this dude from France that got me on a lion as a flow rider, as an am at the time. And Babs was this, um, he was kind of like a pre-Arthur Longo. Mm-hmm. He had this incredible style. He was born in Chamonix. His dad was basically a mountain goat and then did the ice axe, you know, wow. in Sham. And Babs went down the, you know, park you know, freestyle riding, because at the time, nobody really rode mountains. Only, like, skiers and mountain goats did, yeah. you know? So he, I think Babs won, like, junior worlds for skating in Europe at the time in France. And I think Babs had kind of an injury that just, you know, he couldn't snowboard anymore. I think it was a knee one. And at the time, he got into surfing. And for me, that was at a time where, you know, I wanted people to surf with me, and, you know, I wanted to shred. So it was a rad time that a line was just blowing up. Um, went to this crazy park shoot with Shane and some of the homies at the time that were filming, and it ended up just being this heated session. I think John Summers was on a line as well. Mm-hmm. It was just this crazy-ass crew. Um, but yeah, line went on through the 2000s to be kind of this rad brand that um, same time kind of of an era of absinthe films that I really liked. 
that it was just, you know, part of the, you know, part of the sauce, part of that infrastructure that really built, uh, you know, a period of snowboarding that mm -hmm. I really enjoyed. And a lot of my friends, you like to, those are some of the six films. Yeah. Huge period of progression right. during those absent film times. Yeah. I just want to run it back to something you said earlier. You're talking about the team having really good style. And this is a great segue from a question from uh, Chris, Chris, Chris Christensen. Here we go. Hey, Forrest, Chris Christensen here, buddy. Stoked to hear you on the bomb hole. Question for you. I've always been a fan of your style, and you and I have also always talked about how important hand placement is, and you have, you have some of the best hand game I've seen in snowboarding, and I also think it's so important in surfing. Nothing looks worse than someone looking like a composer flapping their hands. Who in snowboarding do you think has the best hand game? Mm. Wow, dude. You hear like rail game and air game, but hand game. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's pretty sick. Thanks, Chris, for the question. Appreciate you, buddy. Chris is one of the most insane um, surfboard shapers. And also, I, you know, give him an air horn for sure. But a badass motorhead, you know, Back to kind of the endless summer vibes, and on any 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 given Sunday, just kind of rad people that kind of grew up in Southern California, you know, that kind of has to go along with like vans and just stuff that really to this day is what makes California so sick. But Chris loves to shred. Um, Chris, Jeremy, and I, we all kind of met similar time, and Chris shapes um, some of our shapes at Jones Snowboard. So this surf series, pretty sick. But back to his question. You know, I'd probably say um, Dirksen and Yoder. They got really good mm -hmm. hand game. Dirksen kind of best probably frontside turn in snowboarding. And then Yoder, I think we call it like the rudder arm. So Yoder's got the rudder. It's mm -hmm. kind of always up, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. so, Which female has the best hand game, do you think? Probably MFR. Yeah, Marie French Fry. Mm -hmm. She's got a great game for sure. She's got, um, yeah, just good style. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a that's Victoria a, probably as well. Yeah. yeah, that's a good segue. I think Victoria too. Mike and I were talking too about um, the art of the turn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would love to talk about the art of the turn. That that's something that's really fun and something that yeah. you, you and you know, obviously Andrew Miller and and you know, for a guy like me goes out. I try to go get a turn photo. Like it's a joke. Like it's just, the turn looks horrible. And yeah. I I've, I've been snowboarding my whole life. I still haven't figured out how to do it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean what uh. What came up for me this year is Mike Boggs and I were talking about it. We were watching ourselves go down the mountain and do the 90 degrees, spray yourself in the face yeah, the in the middle stuff. of the line, and you're blind. So take me through how you approach a, a pow turn on a line. Yeah. And, you know, really, I think, tell me about that, maybe who your mentors were. I've been watching Tom Burt videos this year, a few people like that to kind of study how they do it. Yeah. But, no, yeah, I mean, game? yeah, Mike, I think that's a great, you know, um, point to bring up. It's like Tom Burt and dudes like Zellers, they originally, you know, some of these old standard dudes riding these really consequential lines, and it's like you don't want to, like, throw up this crazy hockey stop or a giant, like, fan turn on this big mountain line or you're going to mm -hmm. blind yourself, mm -hmm. and you're kind of fucked. You can't see where you're going for, you know, who knows how long, and then, you know, you're going to go the wrong way. It's not going to work out the way you want to. Maybe it could, but it's just kind of sketch. So mm -hmm. it's like 
might as well just do kind of like a couple setup turns mm-hmm. or something that's a little bit more relaxed and not so serious. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I mean, the line's consequential, so it's serious, but it's like just think about what, you know, what the results could be if you mm-hmm. do throw up something big. So it's like do a little turn. Do mm-hmm. another turn here. Maybe there's a spot where it's like a red island or something that's a wave feature. Mm-hmm. Great place to throw a big turn. Mm-hmm. You know, so really think about the terrain and kind of study that and kind of think, you know, 10 turns down. It's almost like you're riding a bike and, you know, you see that curb cut like way up the street. Of course, you want to ollie that thing, but you're thinking about this little rock in mm-hmm. front of you. You're on a skate, you mm-hmm. know, like you don't want to hit that and just you know, kill yourself. So you want to get to that point mm-hmm. and then pass that. Yeah. So you're thinking, how many turns are you thinking ahead on a line? I'm sure it depends on the line, but. Yeah, it depends on the line, but at least, you know, three turns out mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that's something that I probably got from Jones and Zellers is, you know, when you're riding something consequential or a bigger line, um, you're really going through kind of the you know, I've heard, and I've had heard you talk about this too, about you, like you're thinking about what's the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of times if you just keep focusing on the worst case scenario, it's going to happen. Totally. You yeah. know, yeah. so it's like, you might as well, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, have, um, you know, plan B, a plan C, mm-hmm. you know, set to where all of a sudden you're thinking plan Z just to have those options in your head, mm-hmm. riding the line. And, you know, that way it's, it's going to work out for sure. You know, mm-hmm. there's always an option and there's always a place where you can pull out if shit hits the fan. Yeah. Now I kind of want to dumb it down even more to, to the fact of like, you know, talking about riding a big line, how do you approach it? But let's just, you know, dumb it down to just a simple turn because I'm still trying to learn how to just do a good, turn does whether it's on groomers right hard pack just coming in and that good body mechanics of a turn yeah do you do you pull the body mechanics and the approach from surfing like do you have anything that you think about when you're like i'm gonna shred this turn yeah i mean for me it's surfing related you know and it's kind of like you know you watch jamie lynn style you watch like blair like people that mention a lot of goofy footers. He yeah, there's a lot of goofy. goofy. He's, he's a goofy bias. I don't I think Hats would like guy. this. I know. Would not like yeah. this. But let's let's go to Craig. You know, and a lot of people reference Craig on the show. Yeah. And you know, you watch any of his segments, and it's just fluid emotion. The guy's a god, mm-hmm. and you just see his turns and the way he snowboards, and it looks just so fluid. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about the path of least resistance and mm-hmm. like being the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like. Well, Obviously, you you have things in mind when you're riding a face, you know? It's like we can break it down to, like, you know, you have an open palette here. You're an artist. It's mm-hmm. like use that brush and, you know, paint whatever you want, you know? Mm-hmm. You can get as creative as you want on that thing. But it's like to do a turn, you really want to think about being able to not do that hockey stop, not have a, you know, look – like you're trying too hard. You know, mm-hmm. you want to make it flowy and you want to make it surfy. So you're trying to do something a little bit wider, open it up a little bit more and really use the hands, you know, as rudders essentially, kind of as you go into a turn and out of it. So it's like you have your hands in a place where you don't want them here, you want them here, you kind of just want them, you know, in a, in a spot that's kind of in the middle, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of let. It's so funny how we're attached to our snowbirds, snowboards. You know, as snowboarders, it's like this thing is like a part of my body. It's like I'm strapped into this thing for life. Mm-hmm. So it's like might as well use that whole body as the board and kind of be one with it and mm-hmm. kind of use. It's interesting how when you think, kind of think about the mechanics of snowboarding, 
more so bringing it back to like doing a turn or using your edges and it's like you know one part of your body leads to the next and that's essentially down to your board so it's like might as well like use that to your advantage mm -hmm. and i like that because you start with your vision and looking where you're going right all the way down from you know your head to your arms to your shoulders to your hips to your knees to your ankles to your yeah, like I've never broken it down like that. Right, and then really at cool. some point it's like flow state for you, so you're mm -hmm. just kind of doing that mm -hmm. like automatically, mm -hmm. not even really thinking about it. You're just kind of letting kind of the terrain at hand kind of, you know, translating into the way you're riding it. Yeah. You yeah. had a deep surf history before, so maybe you had some, some pre-training the turning. I mean, I think it's got to be really related. But, you know, I'm 38 years deep, and I am still trying to get... I get it occasionally, and when you get it, it just feels, like you said, it's flow state. Yeah. But And you know. now that we have these snowboards that are kind of more made, you know, mm -hmm. essentially to mm -hmm. kind of do turns, Yeah. you know, with swallowtails. I mean, we're talking about boards that have been around, you know, since, like, Winter State came out, mm -hmm. which were kind of boards that were made more for turning, not so much for airs. So it had a flex and it had a side cut that was kind of made mm -hmm. specifically to surf the mountain. And, you know, Utah, the snow's so light here, so it's like the perfect place to, like, surf a mountain. Mm -hmm. So it's, it totally makes sense that the dude was, like, making boards mm -hmm. to surf the snow. But, I mean, you know, and now, you know, you, you have friends like, you know, our buddies in Japan, like Gintamstek and Taro Tamai, who essentially, yeah, mega airhorn for Taro because these guys have been kind of keeping that snow surf you know, vibe mm -hmm. alive, mm -hmm. like probably for ever since the winter stick dudes mm -hmm. have done it. And you really have to go over there and like follow one of those guys down the mountain. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like orange man who dresses all in orange. And all of a sudden the dude's like, he's going slow and he's turning. But all of a sudden you're like, dude, this guy looks like a freaking guru right mm -hmm. now. Just ripping down the mountain, just like, you know, the Dalai Lama just looks rad, you know, mm -hmm. even though he's going slow and you're like, dude, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, and then all of a sudden it just like throws your whole game off to where you were thinking about 720s and now mm -hmm. you're like, I just want to ride slow like the orange man, dude. Totally. But Taro has kind of made it this rad. Just It just looked beautiful. You know, it's a way of snowboarding and it kind of brings it back to kind of, you know, the staples of, of turning on a board, you know, and that mm -hmm. really kind of, helped me and a lot of my friends think about like, yeah, I still want to do tricks and I still want to do jumps, but how fun can turning be? You know, like that feels like insane. Like mm -hmm. it's such a rad fluid motion that just feels good. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you want to have that feeling? You know, it's like, yeah, again, it's like use the terrain. And if that looks like a good spot for a turn, that looks like a good spot for a method, throw it up, do it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, you, you started talking earlier, you started out hitting the jumps and you progressed your career into, you st I've still seen you do lots of tricks, but it feels like your progression has gone towards bigger mountains, turns, you know, those things. Do you, st I mean, I'm all, I've always been like a progression hunter. Are you, are you viewing where you're headed as progression as, as far as your shredding? And what does it mean for you now? Because I'm sure back in the day it was like, you know, 540 to a 720 to a 900. What is progression in your world now? You know, I think progression is, you know, such a rad thing that could be used in life, you know, to just keep you fired up to do things, you know, making art, you know, being mm -hmm. creative at a brand to like, 
how do you keep doing things? You know, mm -hmm. how do you keep creating and like doing something as cool as you did before? Mm -hmm. You know, splitboarding and turning has been a way for me for kind of my own personal progression to yeah. be like, whoa, this is kind of where I want to be. And it's something that's a little bit more low impact on my body mm -hmm. that allows me to kind of keep snowboarding every single day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love hiking up a mountain for sure, but God damn, I love riding down it just as much, mm -hmm. you know? So I think the turning and the splitboarding has been just like such a beautiful transition for me to just be really enjoying snowboarding, you know? And mm -hmm. you think about like, wow, dudes like Craig or Tom Burt or mm -hmm. Hetz or people that like they've done these, had these incredible careers and in kind of the span of everything temple, but mm -hmm. they just have incredible turns and mm -hmm. just the way that they ride a mountain and, you mm -hmm. know, figure out like, well, just looks good. And that's something that for me and my progression, I'm kind of continuing on that path of wanting to my, ride my snowboard in different ways and kind of, this is how I see it now. Mm -hmm. And for splitboarding, it was like a time, you know, splitboarding has been around forever, you know, I mean, kind of, you know, found itself in the Wasatch with, with Brett Kobernick, who's a, you, you know, Utah Abbey Center homie now. Um, definitely got to have him on the show at some point, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, these dudes were making like archaic splitboards, you know, going to Home Depot and freaking in their garage making these things and mm -hmm. going and hiking, hiking up Superior. Yeah, and it was something that you're like, damn, that looks really sick. I'm over here right now, really enjoying it, but I could see myself doing that at some point, you yeah. know. And I think that's for a lot of us in our evolution as snowboarders. And maybe we get to that age where maybe you want to do something different. Maybe you're kind of stuck in a rut, but you're like, man, why don't I like expand my mind here and mm -hmm. you know, the evolution and just keep kind of keep learning and doing stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and it's something, you know, or if you're a parent, it's like your, your kids like growing up and it's like, dad, I want to hit the park. And you're like, sick, let's hit the park for sure. But at some point that's like, you want, you want to do stuff together as a family, you know, and being out in the mountains together with your friends and with, you mm -hmm. know, people you love, that's kind of, that's what it's about. Yeah. Yeah, I love the idea of progression. It doesn't have to go forward to more. It can be less and simplification. A lot of artists will do that. You hear, you know, the story of the artist drawing the perfect circle or one line, things that come up as you talk. Yeah, less is so. more is freaking a great attitude to have. You know, mm -hmm. that's a, that's another mantra for myself. Mm -hmm. And it's, I have friends that fly fish or golf, you know, Golf's cool, and maybe I'll get into it one day. Probably not. <laughs> you're going to stay surfing. You know, but um, fly fishing's that thing where you're like, oh, it looks sick, and I'm sure, I know I've tried it, and I enjoy it for sure, but it's like the whole thing, the whole process of, yeah, you get into fly fishing, and you're like, that's sick, and you're like, oh, I want to like learn how to tie the flies, mm -hmm. and you're like, well, that's kind of rad too. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I just want to check out the river. I don't even want to catch the fish anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. there's just something about that zen, mm -hmm. you know, of like, dude, I just want to go hike on the split board and check trees out. And at the mm -hmm. same time, I'm like looking at the avi conditions, so I'm kind of knowing exactly what's going on with the snow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love looking in a mag and seeing one of your, it does, the border doesn't even have to be there. It's just the line of right? what they did. Yeah. So Yeah, just the beautiful. signature is sick, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that's... Just looks rad, you know, and it's rad that snowboarding's at that place right now where it's all encompassing. You know, mm -hmm. it's like I respect the rail homies. Mm -hmm. 
I respect the dudes that are doing the jumps and then that their respect's mutual. It's really mm-hmm. cool. So I think it's at that place where it's kind of at that age where everyone's just like doing rad stuff out there now and it's definitely showing in the sport and in the industry that it's giving back and, and supporting those people. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Bub's Naturals. We're always talking about it here at the Bombhole because we hammer all of their products. They recently came out with Bub's Brew. It's their coffee bean, the original blend. It's USDA organic, it's fair trade, and also it's the first ever coffee bean to be Whole30 approved. Another thing we're going to talk about today is Bub's Fountain of Youth Collagen. I actually just discovered that they made flavored collagen, didn't know that, and uh, I've been hammering the Fountain of Youth Collagen, because it's tasty. It's a nice berry flavor, and we all want to relive our glory days out on the battlefield. And if you want to do that, you got to take care of your body, and collagen is huge for, you know, recovery. So you can go out there and pretend you're still 18 years old, even though you can't grab your snowboard. So we recommend Bub's Naturals. Uh, If you head on over to their website, bubsnaturals.com, use promo code BOMBHOLE to get 20% off your order. Again, bubsnaturals.com, promo code BOMBHOLE. Get there. All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Woodward Park City, located only 15 minutes from Salt Lake City. We hosted Dogfight, Rail Jam up there uh, earlier this year. They're great for the snowboarding community. They do all kinds of fun events, and they got an incredible flowy park. Mm-hmm. And what um, else do they have? They got indoor. You know, They got uh, the skateboard park where mm-hmm. you can skate in the winter. Mm-hmm. It's cold, or you can skate in the AC in the summer. Wow. It's hot. Okay. What else can you do there? I mean, it seems like I heard they're open all year. They're open all year. You know what? If you want to, you could be good at parkour, Mike. You okay. can go do be, be a parkour guy. No, I would, I'd rather mountain bike. I don't think they have that, do they? Oh, no, they do. <laughs> they wow. do have mountain wow. biking, Mike. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, they also have a foam pit. Huh. Yeah. So if you have, are you good at uh, back rodeo 900? I've only done one. Backflip in my whole life. Can we go up and practice? Well, you could learn a double backflip into that thing. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Stony Bud's favorite activity, he rants and raves about the tubing. Mm-hmm. So tubing's fun in the winter. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm wondering, I mean, usually I'm working late. Unfortunately, they're probably closed. No, they got lights, Mike. Wow. They got lights, yeah. Okay. So, so a lot it. of times they're open until 7, snowboard uh, you know, after work. That's what mm-hmm. I do. We're a couple of keyboard cowboys out here. We got to get her fixed. You know mm-hmm. what we're going to do? What? Going to go to Woodward. Okay. Yep. So uh, be sure to check out Woodward Park City if you are in the Utah area. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) we are back with Forrest Shear right now on the bomb hole. Yes, we are, Mike. We are back. So Who do um, we have here today? Yeah, we have Forrest Shear. Also goes by Forey. But uh, we were in the midst of a great conversation. And I'd like to pick up where we left off in the the less is more realm. Mm -hmm. And even what you're saying, too, I also think about like... You know, as I've gotten older, you 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 don't think like this. It's like more, 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 bigger, bigger, bigger. You're just, you know, we're full of piss and vinegar. You know, you want to go huge and you want to do it all. Yep. But you get a little older and, like, things slow down. It's like a simple life is a good life. I don't follow that mantra, but an ideal world. I think, you're, I, I think un- I've watched I'm, you unstep. I'm working towards it. Yeah. But I feel like you, you embody that nicely for us. Thanks, Chris. And I'd like you to talk about that too. Um, for me, less is more is a, is a mantra that, and it kind of brings it back to kind of uh, where we are in life right now. It's like it, we're so bombarded with, with tech and so much like just 
shit's just getting stuffed down our throats of like information, um, product, you know, just insane amount of, you know, info out there. And info's rad and I love it. I love to read. I love to like learn about shit. But there's something to be said about like, I'm going to take a way back and go back to like previous civilizations and like, you know, you know, First Nations and Native American people that like less is more. It's like you can do a lot, but like learning from the land and, you know, when you think about the internet, it's like this big thing, but actually the internet's been around for a hundred of years and it's been like right under our feet the whole time, you know, it's like in the freaking earth. And it's like, there's so much we can be learning about the trees, um, the planet, the weather. It's like the Aztecs had their calendar. It's like, they were looking at the stars, you know, people in Hawaii, there's this Hokulea boat and it's, um, basically a replica of like ancient Hawaiian sailing vessels. And the Hokulea, it's, you know, they're, they're using it today and kind of taking it around the world to kind of, um, share. And so people can kind of learn about how people got around back then, you know? Mm -hmm. And for them, it was like using the stars as navigation, you know? And it's crazy to be like, oh, yeah, we just sailed from Hawaii to Tahiti. Like, it took us like three weeks, and we made it. And mm -hmm. it's like using the stars the whole time. There's this great um, explorer, um, a Norwegian guy, but he had this, uh, this book and film. It's called Kontiki. And they basically mm -hmm. sailed this, like, raft, you know? And he had this, like, concept. This is, like, on some Darwin shit, but he had this, like this hunch that pineapples that are like, oh yeah, pineapples are like tropical as get as it gets, but that came from like South America. And they're like, everybody's like, dude, you're high. There's no way that pineapples, pineapples came from South America. And so he was like, okay, I'm going to prove you guys wrong. I'm going to go full net geo on you guys and go sail from South America to, you know, Fiji, crazy islands in the South Pacific so far. And he's like, okay, the whole thing is I'm like, I'm just going to float by the current. And this was like a psycho mission that became famous because, you know, essentially even his crew was like, dude, you're crazy, dude. There's no way I'm going to sit on this raft this whole time and just, you know, let the current take us there. But he actually did it. And he proved that, you know, pineapples came from South America. And mm -hmm. it was insane that like all these places were trading goods and you know this was like a life of a very simple time that you can still do rad things you know and for us you know today it's like simple simple is kind of rad you know it's like why not like think about something before you buy it or you know make a conversation more meaningful you know I'm at a point in my life where I want to have like deep conversations I really want to like get into the mud and just like talk about real shit it's like I can talk about snowboarding all the time and I love to talk about the best day ever. But, you know, for me, the best day ever is, doesn't have to be the raddest place. It could just be the crew that I'm with. And in that particular day, that's just like, actually, this was the most meaningful. It's like just watching the sunset or just like one turn, you know, it's like hiking these mountains, splitboarding. It takes, takes a while, you know, you're, you're putting that effort into it. You're, you know, those pistons are moving, but it's like get up to the top and, you might just get one run in Alaska. So you want to make that run mean it, you know, you want to simplify it down and just be like, okay, this is now and I'm going to be in the now and mm -hmm. I'm going to enjoy it, you mm -hmm. know? So I think, yeah, less is more. It's just a great, great way of life, you know? And I think there's a way moving forward into our future on this planet that, you know, to think about 
a less is more mentality and kind of if you're buying less, if you're just being a little bit more conscious about how we're living and coexisting with the planet and with the other animals on it, it's mm-hmm. like why not take take care of this place? It's the mm-hmm. only it's the only one we got. There's only one 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 earth. Mm-hmm. You know? So Yeah. It sounds like less is more is the action and appreciation is maybe or gratitude's the underneath. Yeah, appreciate everything you were talking about. I think it is, you know, and I think there's a lot of friends out there that I really appreciate people that use their hands and um, that are craftsmen, you know, and I think we're we're losing a lot of that right now. It's kind of the more 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 tech is kind of getting in the mix, you know. Mm -hmm. There's like AI's a lot of people are tripping on AI right now, and that's kind of like. AI might take over people's jobs. You know, there's mm-hmm. going to be like an AI Chris in here, and I'm going to be talking to AI, oh, and I, I yeah. want I want that laugh, I want that realness. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That, I think that's I love that topic, and even you know, even in my own life, like we do, we have a podcast, and I spend all this time on the computer, and used to when we were just <coughs> snowboarding, like you know, do all my home improvement and welding and fabricating and building, and that's what I did with, my, and and now like when I get a chance to use my hands, it's like it's almost like orgasmic you're like dude i've needed to create or build and and i think what you said too it you know with the way you know we're not necessarily part of the solution being like a media company we're on we're on the interweb and in the computers and the files are in the computer in the words of uh derek zoolander i believe uh but um you know i think like emphasis on like trade schools being like just as prestigious as a as an academic school is something i i think is really important too it's like like, you know, it's almost like the trades are looked down upon. Totally. And I think that, and now we're getting into the weeds, but it's just something I, I'm kind of passionate because I've always respected people that build things with their hands. Yeah, and I think, you know, we talk about a future of, like, you can't have one without the other, and it's like, you know, we want to bring these traditional knowledges and wisdom with us moving forward, you know, because there's mm. something to be said about, you know, if we're living in a desert, you know, there's people that lived here hundreds of years ago, and they were able to survive, so it's like, why not, like, take a little tip from those guys moving forward. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. And and the less is more, too, going back to just, I like what you're saying about appreciating experience. Like you're saying, you know, the best day, I love that. I just want to highlight that. The best day isn't the day you maybe did the, the big trick. It's like the less, the best day could just be what might be labeled as a mediocre day in terms of like how we kind of categorize things. But um, it's actually, you had, the best experience and, and I love that that as you get older and things slow down and you appreciate the small things like it's like split boarding for example like we're going up the skin track yesterday and we're talking and it's like doesn't even really matter where we're going like it's like we're just going up and and the, the chat is great and you get back to the truck and we did some low angle wiggles and like you wouldn't categorize that as even anything phenomenal but it was it was a great day, right? How and sick you, can Wiggles be? They're awesome, and you feel and you feel <laughs> amazing. It's, I like that, like gauge it. Okay, I did this thing. How did it make me feel? Oh, okay, like I, this thing made. I went to the mall today, and I shopped, and I felt like just I just didn't feel good or so whatever it is, you know. Like I'm not saying, that, but it's like you can just take these little data points, and you're like, oh, split so I waited in a chairlift line for two hours, and I got three runs, and. I was in a crowd of people. I didn't really like the way that made me feel. Oh, I went splitboarding, made me feel good. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Kind of just randomly spewing, but yeah, I, like, well, I like what you're well, saying. What was Willie's kind of recent um, slogan? It was like, I came for the lift lines and stayed for the traffic or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love that freaking, you know, we're all kind of thinking about doing different stuff and just like how cool it is to like have a conversation with someone and all of a sudden you're like, man, I want to try a little bit of that in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to take some of that juju and some of that, you know, that elixir, mm-hmm. you know, and add it to my routine, you know. I mm-hmm. think that's something cool about the evolution of learning, you know, and wanting to, you know, continue that, you know. Um, I think I heard Danny talk about it on his podcast, but it's, you know, why wouldn't you want to like keep learning and keep evolving, you know, as a athlete or as anything, it's like, we're human and it's like, we have these brains, let's like use them, Mm. you know, and, and in a way of, yeah, there's a rant again, but um, that's what we're here for. Keep ranting. (laughs) We're, I'm captivated by the rants. I I think what you're kind of touching on is it's a. You know, if one you talked about it earlier with your body, yeah. keep it moving. Yeah. It's the same with your brain and, and maybe relabeling what achievements are. Mm. Exactly. You know, it's like achievement we, could be a great conversation. Yeah, for sure. Um no, I think it's it's pretty rad to to keep doing stuff and whatever makes you happy, you know, it's like do that. You know, I mean that's kind of end of the day. If you're not enjoying something, it's like you're just beating your head against the board. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like evolve and, you know, I think that's, that's great for you as a human, your, your mental health. And, you know, also like, um, people want to be around fun people, you know? And I think that's something for me when I'm in the mountains and when I'm doing stuff, I want to surround myself with people that I enjoy doing stuff with, you know? And it's like, you don't want to be around like some dude that's like, oh fuck, we got to go do this again. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, I I think, you know, I'm sure, Chris, you're the same. Working with a team and a crew. I mean, I've actually watched you be a chameleon in many ways because you jump into my crew with a bunch of dudes jumping off a million jumps. Yeah. But how important is that team? I mean, you're going on these expeditions and all these other things. Oh, it's huge, dude. And who who are your people? What You know, who are the people you've learned from or you really trust to be around or what's important to you with a, with a crew? And a I team? mean, for me and kind of the, you know, the part of snowboarding that I'm in that, that I like to do, which is splitboarding, um, hiking mountains and free riding, you know, you're dealing with a little bit more consequence. You're dealing with the, you know, the great white shark of the mountain, which is avalanches and it's can, you know, be pretty serious at times. You know, you watch Natty Select um, and there's a lot of avalanche mitigation and there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes before they're able to have the event, mm-hmm. you know, um, we touch a little bit about that sometimes Baldface has that with like scary cherry. I mean, it's like crazy slope and you know, it's going to slide. Um, I think they had like free ride world tour in, um, you know, at this face in Switzerland, it was supposed to go down and there was a big slide on it and they're mm-hmm. actually like, Oh, the tour's over boys. Whoever won the last one's going to win. So it's pretty freaking serious, you know? So I think it really boils down for me having a crew that has your back in those types of scenarios, you know? Mm -hmm. Well-trained. Well-trained. And, you know, we have these avalanche transceivers. Um, We have these these things called Rico that are on our clothes. It's kind of mandatory for a lot of brands to have them on there. But those are essentially just to find, like, the dead body. You -hmm. You can't... That's kind of like a metal detector, Mm -hmm. you know? And so... Your beacon, that's kind of what you use, and that's your lifeline to your buddy. So mm-hmm. you might as well learn how to use that thing because, like, obviously you want to find your friend, but 
it's reciprocal that that buddy better know how to find you when you're yeah. out there, you know? So every year we're going through, you know, Avaline Safety and we're doing refreshers every year, you know, and that goes incredible that um, Pat Moore is doing the risk maturity stuff. That's kind of really helped with the snowmobilers and some of the, the, the jumpers and everybody kind of get on that sense of wilderness first aid and having that kid on your sled and just having that mentality, you know? And for us being in the backcountry, I mean, that, goes down to like dude you could be like out there for a long time Mm -hmm. so you better like have a kit to you know sustain being out there or like being able to you know stay put until help comes so i think for us having a crew that you're comfortable being out there with and then also with the filmers i mean i think a lot of people forget how gnarly the filmers are that we're with out there carrying huge ass bags I respect all filmers like in all kind of aspects because it's just like they're, you know, getting a sick shot, thinking about all that, and then they have to like have this heavy bag and get to these places as well. So on top of like what we're doing, you know, Mm -hmm. we're just thinking about the landing or, oh, fucking snow sucks. Mm -hmm. But they're thinking about a whole different set of things. And for us, adding the whole split board equation into it and as soon as you go on like expeditions and thinking about like Jimmy Chin stuff, it's like all of a sudden you're like, dude, it's a whole nother deal. And to find someone that is willing to do that, but then also has that skill level to do it, you know, I could probably count them on one hand. Yeah. There's only a few guys out there, but yeah. it's, it's incredible, you know, and we create these, these bonds and these lifelong relationships with these people that, that, that trust element is there. And, you know, when you add in risk, it's crazy. So you better have your buddies back. And, but that's something that I really want to, you know, bring people in. It's like, I, I love getting people into what I like to do and, you know, bringing in the, you know, bringing people into, you know, doing these things and being mentors, you know? And I think if you see someone and they're like, whoa, that's kind of rad. That's like, bring that person up and like, provide that space and provide that place for them to, you know, morph into another rider and just keep that evolution going of what they want to learn and be a part of, you know? Yeah. And be that, that ATV of yeah. snowboarding, you know? Yeah. I mean, someone mentored you. I think it's always nice to reach the hand back. I'm sure. Who were your Completely. main mentors? Like, you know, in, in the beginning when you made that transition to, yeah. When I made that transition into splitboarding, um, Jeremy Jones was a big one for sure. Big mountain. Um, a lot of us got into splitboarding all at the same time. There was a dude, um, I think I got introduced through Pat Bridges and mm-hmm. it was a time at snowboarder legends of the sport and snowboarder was at a time where it was a little bit more all encompassing than trans world. Let's say, you know, in terms of like someone's doing something rad, let's support that. And this guy came to the table. His name was Chris Edmonds, had this idea for this film project called uh, My Own Two Feet. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us got on board because it was pretty lax. And it was, he was like, yeah, if you want a splitboard, if you want a snowshoe, if you want to walk out there, who cares? You know, as long as we're, we're doing it under our, our own means and under the power of My Own Two Feet. And it was a rad project. We did it in the whole Sierras, um, all the way from Tahoe, all the way down to Mount Whitney. And for myself, Dirksen, Jones, this kind of, I think we'd all splitboarded a little bit uh, prior to that, but that was kind of the aha moment for us to be like, wow, 
this is actually like opening up this other box mm -hmm. of like I've always looked at that stuff or thought about getting to that peak across the street from my resort you know looking at that horizon line and seeing something rad out there mm -hmm. and be like let's go do that someday but you're like no you know not how do we get there yeah and all of a sudden the split board was that means to access these places and all of a sudden you're just like whoa dude there's this whole other area where you know maybe it's or wilderness boundary, or you can't get there with a the sled or with the heli, and all of a sudden you're like, dude, we can go camp out there. Mm -hmm. You know, we can actually have like a real fucking adventure <laughs> and actually like get into some gnar, and all of a sudden you're like, dude, all of a sudden I'm like into mountaineers, and I'm like inspired by Conrad and Jimmy and like, you know, Yvonne Chenard, people that like, you know, Yosemite and places that you're just like, whoa, dude, these are like insane spots and people have been doing this stuff while well, we've been snowboarding this whole time and you're like that's rad mm -hmm. you know even in utah it's like i would go skate in the summer here you know i would hang and party and just kind of cruise and all of a sudden there's like dude we can go to southern utah we can go like climb rocks and actually there's insane it's like the most beautiful state ever and it has that so much diversity in a sense where you can do all these things which is rad. So yeah. I think splitboarding really, you know, opened up that door for a lot of us and, you know, led to some incredible opportunities with, you know, blending in outdoor and um, action sports. Mm -hmm. Now, I was curious with the, when you started splitboarding, yeah. it was like there really wasn't that many people doing it. It was pretty, pretty rare. And it's obviously the past five years just, exploded i feel like especially up you know little cottonwood canyon you know trailheads that might have one car are like lined up down the road you know um how have you seen it change with the explosion of popularity of people kind of human powered access to the mountains good thing bad thing what do you feel about it you know i, th I think it's a, a blessing and a curse um on one side where you know the ones promoting that industry kind of at the very top of it and something that was kind of like people did it before and it was under the radar, but all of a sudden we're releasing these kind of split board films and deeper, further came deeper, further higher came out, which I was a part of. And all of a sudden it's like these little ambers of this fire. All of a sudden it was like pouring lighter fluid on it. All of a sudden it was like, mm -hmm. Holy shit, dude, this is actually really popular. Mm -hmm. And you know, in the whole grand scheme of things, it's like, we don't, Brands don't sell a ton of split boards every year, but it's still um, pretty popular. And it's a thing that actually you're like, wow, I don't need to go buy a ski pass over here. I can maybe invest in this split board setup, learn about the mountains. And, you know, all of a sudden I got power runs all day over here. Yeah. And a lot of people you see are getting out of their car at five and they're at work at 830. Exactly. So they can... Not the lift hasn't even opened yet. It's pretty rad, yeah. So again, you're not having to deal with all kind of the rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. You're kind of doing all that stuff yourself, yeah. you know. So it's kind of, um, yeah. And I think um, with kind of COVID and where we are with you know people working remotely, all of a sudden they're like, "Wow, dude, backcountry is like my jam." And now I'm like, you know, it's kind of a in a sense, it's kind of tricky because there's a lot of people that are just like, damn, I just need the gear and I can get out there. But then also you can get yourself into a lot of trouble quickly if you don't know, you know, about a place. 
and not putting that time and research in and mm-hmm. you don't have the partners to go with, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's something that's a little bit more serious. Um, ski resorts, it's all kind of mitigated from, from ski patrol mm-hmm. and the avalanche safety. So it's something that, you know, we don't give those guys enough credit. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of us are just like, Oh, the gate drops and you know, let's go get We're it. Out there. Should we, should we give the, uh, avalanche centers and, and, yes. uh, yeah, and, uh, all the the avalanche control people just a super air horn because it's unbelievable. Hell yeah, um, yeah. UAC, the Utah Avalanche Center, is like one of the best in the world, and yeah. um, the guys, um, Bruce Tremper, he's got a great book out on avalanches, legend. But there's been incredible people, and it's at that stage right now where we have all that information at our fingertips. Pretty freaking rad. And, you know, use that. Learn the knowledge, take an AVI course. It's like... It's Pretty much available everywhere. Yeah, available everywhere, yeah. you know. And you go around to other places in the world and you're doing all that stuff yourself. So mm-hmm. um, it's a great way to get familiar with the place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, learn about it. Do the knowledge and do your homework. But then also it's like, if you're in a new place, like go meet up with some locals. I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. Guides are... You know, they have that job for a reason. You know, it's to mm-hmm. keep people safe and to give people a good day. But with us and with snowboarding, we're like, you know, we're the best people to adapt. You know, snowboarders are like, you know, just like skaters. I feel like we adapt so quick to like the terrain at hand and to like, oh, this looks like something we could do this here. This looks like something over here where I can go this way. And that's, I think that's, you know, something to be said about our community. It's like, we're easily adaptable and we're, I'd say a little bit more approachable maybe than other sports. And so it's a way of like, you go to a place and you're like, this dude looks cool. What's, what's he all about? Where's, where's the sick line here? Yeah. Let's, let's tap in and ride with this dude today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always was terrified going to new zones. Like if, if I'm riding at Brighton or around that area, you know, there's always a risk, but I've also watched it for 30 years. But when you roll up, when I even Tahoe, or I always want to be with a local. Yeah. Um, anywhere else other than home. Exactly. You know, and I think people pick spots. Um, Tahoe, for instance, wet or snow, a little bit heavier, but then the the AVI rating tends to mellow out quicker mm-hmm. over there. Yeah. You know? So it's a little locks bit up. locks up quick, and then you kind of get these spines. Yeah. And then for out here, it's a little lighter snow, which we love. Epic landings, sick lines, but um, a little gnarlier. Mm-hmm. Even the Uinta snowpack changes as you go towards Wyoming, and Completely. they're all totally different Colorado. Mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking about, too, as you're talking, like, I've been thinking about this this year. We've been having all this snow, and the ski patrollers that, you know, open this, like, these, you know, potentially high-risk areas that mitigate zones for us to ride on inbounds or out of bounds or whatever and they're like you know, gate the rope drops and they're like okay it's all good but what a gnarly job is that like what if you didn't do your control work right and something rips out and a bunch of people die like you know i don't think we give a lot of those those guys enough credit i just kind of went running it not to reiterate but dude it's crazy in my home mountain in mammoth now they're just getting so much snow just getting pummeled all season long of like you know, a lot, a lot of times you'll get like two feet of snow and you're like, okay, sick. It's enough where I can mitigate the danger. And all of a sudden you're getting like 20, 30 feet of snow at once. And then you got to open the resort, you know, and have it be safe for people to, to ski. And it's like that much more work and mm-hmm. that much more, you know, pressure, 
pressure and like on your shoulders of like, mm-hmm. okay, we got to make sure it's safe for everybody. And it's like giving those guys a break to, you know, definitely um, they're putting their time in. So next time you see a, a patroller or a, a lifty, give, give, them, give them that donut, you know. <laughs> yeah, give them up. Thank you for sure. Give them a bag of granola, some patchouli <laughs> oil, maybe some matcha tea. Right. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. a howitzer. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe an ice axe. Give them right? an ice axe. Yeah. Give them a bag of ropes and some carabiners yeah. and shit and some chalk. And a couple extra sticks of dynamite at the house. Yeah, you get some dynamites too. Yeah. All right, let's stay crunchy here. <laughs> let's stay on the crunchy topic. Speaking of which, just learned something new, Mike. What's that? Uh, Griff, not Griff, Forrest. Sorry, I just called you Griff. Let's give Griff an air horn. Hey, Griff. We love you, bud. <laughs> Your new nickname's Griff. Yeah, he's one of those dudes that you're like, oh, yeah, you want to get into splitting? Let's reckon you go have... all in, buddy. Now yeah. he's kind of the, you know, we've always called him King of the Satch, but now mm-hmm. he's kind of got a new, mm-hmm. you know, we're kind of going Game of Thrones. I know Parker's kind of got some uh, some he's, split. He's getting too. there. He's yeah. getting there. I, I would say that you might have six nicknames now, though. Yeah, you Griff. Know Griff at the bomb hall. Mm-hmm. And uh, Griff taught us, aka Forrest, that you eat the entire apple, including the core. Mm-hmm. Just did that for my first time ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we were just hanging in Japan, uh, myself and Andrew Miller and Arata, a good homie. In this apple town, just hitting up all the sush and samurai zones, and he's like, "Yeah." Please have apple, and it's cut long ways. Mm-hmm. For the for the viewers who can't see, we just chopped this apple up. Show them that last piece. I Let's did, but it's piece. um it's, it's chip, so um mm-hmm. kind of some natty, just really crunchy food here. And uh, when we're out in the backcountry, we do like the cliff bars, but we also like the real food. So mm. we actually all. we got a great. This is a great segue into before we go back to other stuff. This is not really crunchy, but guest question from Nils. Here we go. Howdy, Bombhole. Nils here. Okay, guys, I have a little bit of a math problem I would love you to solve for me, which is, Forrest, how many cliff bars do you think you've eaten in your entire life? Kind of curious. Maybe you can split it up with, like, X amount per week, X amount of weeks in that season. You know, go from there. Can't wait to hear it. Hope you guys are having fun. See ya. Oh, no, it was a lovey bud. Um, another classic engineer question. Mm-hmm. Fellow splitter, mathematician, wizard on the board, all around. Love that dude. Uh, but yeah, Cliff Bars. <laughs> One of my first sponsors. I love him. Um, Rad Brand, Lena rides for him. Um, ben Chetler, Kimmy, a lot of the homies. But uh, yeah, they make good product. Um, and yeah, it's something that you could eat. So probably thousands of Cliff Bars have gone well, down. Let's, let's go. Let's, let's do go. The let's math. go. Let's do the math. I got my calculator. So how many here. years? Right, when right. Did you get so, so, so. so we're probably like we're talking like 2008. So we're talking 25. No, uh, let me see. 22 minus 16 eight. years. No, 15 years. <laughs> Is that right? Eight. 15 years. 14. Right? Yeah. 14. Let's call. It. Four, let's call it 15 years. Let's round up. 15 years. 15 uh, years. So how many bars a week? So bars a week, we'll probably go... Even do a day if you need to. So let me kind of just reframe, like, we do these expeditions, and when we're going on that expedition, we're getting a freaking duffel full of Cliffy products. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like Travis, he's like, we're going there, and... We're we're getting all these cliff bars and then we're going there. <laughs> yeah. you know? We need a whole bunch yeah. of fuel and we're gonna go there. You're like, we need a whole bunch of cliff bars. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, so kind of we save ourselves, you know, throughout the season to kind of like 
sprinkle a little bit here, sprinkle a little bit there. Because when we're on, we're, we're going full, you know, up to 20, 20 chow, we want all the cliff. We want that stuff where you just freaking, you know, on the go fuel. Yeah. Get what's so, the hammer cliff. Yeah. So probably like three a week when I'm not on, um, you know. So we'll say, we'll say 12 a month on yeah. a normal schedule. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say something like that. Yeah. It's a lot of us, you know, it's like I see Dirksen and he's like, oh, dude, Mountain House for dinner? wife's not home i'm gonna i'm gonna eat that <laughs> make it easy so yeah there's a lot of times where I, you know i'm big on breakfast i kind of try to eat an early dinner but i'm kind of like a snacker throughout the whole day so a lot there's a lot of times where i'm hitting cliff bars for sure so we'll, we'll go to like three to five a week and then we, we want to go cliff products or just a cliff bar i think the question specifically is cliff bars yeah and you eat them year round i mean this is three a week yeah. Through the wind, through summer too. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah. surf snack. Totally. Good, good hiking surf, snack. Yeah. yeah, so we'll go three a week. Let's go okay, like three that. Three a week times so, so 52. We're, we're, so we're looking at 40, 240 a month. <laughs> For three a week? Yeah. Or no, did I do my math? No, 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 no. So, so no, you said three to five a week. So five, oh, let's just round up to five a week. All right. So then times four, right? So that's, so I guess you could do times 52. That would give you five a week <laughs> times 52. It's 260. So that's 260 a year uh-huh. for, what do we say, 20, 20 years? Or what do we say, 12 years. 14 years. 14 15 years. years. <laughs> All right, 15 years. So, that, so you're looking at 3,900 Cliff Bars just without wow. without the bulk order. Right. Now let's throw in let's throw in the um, Expeditions. <laughs> We're throwing Denali. What yeah. are we talking? Give me, and, and how many, we got a handful of those. Well, so. I think so, you know, Cliff Bars are rad because they do, they make these all of these other products. They got like gels, they got blocks. Mm-hmm. A lot of the boys were just crushing blocks all day because it's like a little Jolly Rancher, you know. So diversity is the spice of life, Mike. Mm-hmm. So it's like mm-hmm. you're, you're, you know, you're you don't want to get gels, totally burnt out. Bars. Yeah, we want gels. You know, we're tr- we're trying to go uh, fast and light. Do they have an IV? Because I don't really want to open my bag. I'd yeah, like to... we'll just go straight espresso mm-hmm. gel IV. Mm-hmm. Get a powder out of the Camelback yeah. from Mike. Powder they can snort. There's a snortable, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta, ingest multiple, you gotta ingest multiple <laughs> in other countries. Oh, yeah, we're gonna go that microdose of that clip <laughs> yeah. gel. No, the okay. little block. And you we're just gonna like it. put it under your tongue and mm-hmm. you're just gonna have a little Do bit they of have any suppositories? Yeah, suppository. Dude, for sure they okay. must. Yeah, so sure. so I'd say I'd say easy I'd say easy five thousand. Let's just say let's <laughs> 5, just do five thousand cliff bar products lifetime. in a lifetime. What's your yeah, that's a that's maybe on the conservative <laughs> side. I think my question is I mean, bars probably more than anything else. Right. What's your favorite flavor? Bars. Um, we're gonna go pretty standard, boys. We're gonna go like oatmeal raisin, I think. Okay. Yeah. Good yeah. to know. Yeah, I think like there's like a peanut butter one that's really Ooh. really good. Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, I like the peanut butter. I'm more of like an almond butter guy. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Cliff has done rad products, um, but sometimes we get rid of some. So mm. we're gonna go oatmeal raisin. That's a staple. Like it. All right, I'm going back to deep. Are we good on the cliff bars, Mike? You got any other uh, things you need to add about that? Because I'm gonna, I'm about to move on. Um, no, I'm good. Okay, good. All right. So, <clears throat> thinking about this, I'm excited to ask you this. So we go on. I do generally little short tours. You know, go, go maybe for an afternoon. Boom. You know, go out, come back, whack a couple turns. So the split board, the back truck feel great. I've never done a big expedition, multi day camping but even on these short little tours i feel connected to nature like in a way that's unbelievable you're staring at the birds eating out of the tree or 
you're just like you're picking up on little th- details, and that's on that's on maybe like a two hour tour. I'm feeling like I'm connected. How connected do you feel when you're out there and you're there's no one else around, and you've been in deep nature for a long time? I mean, you're you're at that point. You're full Nat Geo. You know? You're Nat Geo. <laughs> you're straight in it. You, you know, are nature. Yeah, you're starting to write a journal. You're like starting to log what's going on during the day. Mm-hmm. You know what? What like Ryland's doing over here in the tent? Mm-hmm. You know he's. You know what people are, curb your enthusiasm over here. I got a surf mag over here. What are we eating for lunch? What's what's for dinner? But um, yeah, you're you're so tuned in that it's. You know, that's that's the daily life. You know, that's the simplicity of it. So you're kind of tuning back in to slowing it down. And, you know, essentially it's like, that's like on some back to the basics. It's like, what are these bare things that we do every day? And it's like, if you can keep doing those things, it's like too much, too much, you know, too much info is kind of crazy, you know. Um, we evolve and we adapt, you know. Elon Musk and, like, a lot of tech homies that are like, oh, I only get, you know, five hours of sleep every night. And somehow they they operate, you know, that's their vibe. But it's cool to just be whatever. You can get your sleep. Um, you have your routine during your day, and it's like that's kind of – that's what it is in life. You know, that's the stuff that – that's that good shit that we thrive off of, like, okay, you know, I have this objective that I'm doing. I'm going after this run. Going up this mountain to get that sunset line, going back, making making a good dinner and going to bed and doing the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really into that circadian rhythm of, like, you kind of get up when the sun gets up, mm-hmm. you know? And it's a lot of times you're, like, have something in your head. And you can kind of be like, oh, I got this to do tomorrow. And it's funny how you can, like, wake up during that time, you know, right before. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, it's, like, clockwork. And it's like, damn, that's kind of crazy that your, mm-hmm. your brain and your body works like that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like we get that way. Once you kind of turn off kind of those dailies and kind of get back into these like super natty, crunchy stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, I, lo- I love this stuff because I think we're, we're actually cannibalizing our own senses in ways. Like right. if you think about the other day, it was moist in the air. And I'm like, oh, I haven't checked the weather, but I'm like, damn, it seems like it's going to snow. Like you can feel that, you feel that in the air and you're right. like, I, you know that it's going to snow. You know, but like in now it's like, oh, I sit inside and you're like, oh, it's going to snow tomorrow. I like noticed the app told me that, you know, and, and I love the fact of what you're describing of connecting deeper to your senses. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a, a, a big thing for me. And I think a big um, direction that if we kind of lose that connection to nature, then, you know, I, I think that really boils it down to like the root of wanting to protect these places is like you go into this spot and you have this incredible time and then all of a sudden you're like wow this place is really cool and i'm having that's more of a connection with this place that dude i think i'm going to protect this place you know this is kind of a rad spot it'd be so cool to like have kids go up here and like different generations and then all of a sudden you're like whoa dude i'm not the first person to be up here there's like animals that have been up here and like you know, civilizations way before us that had that connection to these spots that, you know, you're like, damn, dude, am I, am I one of those people? Am I, am I on some different stuff? Tapping into like that really cool knowledge and juju that's kind of just happening, happening naturally, you know? And I I was recently like up on this trip, just kind of like up in the Sierras, 
um, with my buddies on snowshoes and we were hiking and the weather was crazy. It was snowing, but like crazy snow where it's like hundred mile per hour winds. And you're like, dude, we got to batten down the hatches. We got to freaking dig a hole right here, put a tent up. You know, you barely have enough energy to make the food and, you know, boil some water, get, get to bed and so you don't freeze your ass off. But I was up there and I was like thinking about like these trees in this certain spot. I mean, these are trees that were like, you know, 400 to a thousand year old trees, you know, and it's thinking about, this is like getting really crunchy here, but I love it. it's talking about how, you know, we have these pioneers and like people that freaking, you know, cross the U S you know, it's like, Oh, we're making out to the West, you know, the Oregon trail, the freaking Donner party. I mean, mm-hmm. those guys ate each other. So we're not going to, we're not going to get all those guys, <laughs> but the trees, the trees are like the original pioneers, dude. And even though they're stationary, they've kind of seen it all. You know, so if you're a tree up on Superior or somewhere and you're like, damn, dude, another guy is going to go and ride this line. He's like, I'm just sitting here the whole time watching it. So I'm kind of <laughs> that, that original, you know, wise elder, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool because as we kind of, you know, weather's changing all the time and shit's getting crazy out there and these rocks and trees that have just been there, you know, they're not talking about they've seen some shit, right? That's so cool. I never thought about that. They're not talking about they're communicating and yeah, in other ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> Never thought about that. Yeah, they've seen 40 people drop in on that for the past 300 years. <laughs> you, oh, we're the first ones here. They're like, no, you're not, you dumbass. The other one's like, that guy, Steve's, was kind of wild. Right. The other reason, no, dude, his method was sick. <laughs> <laughs> right, he's like, give me some low over here. Just like, freaking scratch my back. No doubt. And then, these, and then the next guy like comes through jib. and like tries to ride off him and cuts his branch off. Right, so, yeah, yeah, you mm-hmm. don't, yeah, you don't want to show, no you don't show him some love, but. Show him some love. Yeah, respect for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I back that. Yeah. I'll get crunchy all day. Getting submerged in your environment, which is good, a, a good thing about splitboarding. Like snowmobiling, and you're like, flying and you don't right. you're just like everything's just going by and you're you could be going by the most beautiful thing in the world but you're like my destination is 10 miles this way and i'm like <laughs> hauling ass and it's really fun right? but uh like it's like the le- the less is more is like that little that little wiggle or that little uh you know for me i call it life a glide for us life you know? of glide you know dude, what they say it. be bold start cold in the morning i was le- telling you that yesterday be bold start cold yeah, you, you know freeze what? you die you freeze you die you want a lot of cotton products dude that's what we use <laughs> to be really comfortable out there right <laughs> so all right i'm gonna get into a bit of a hot hot uh touchy touchy subject but uh mm. we're talking about connecting with nature um a thing that grows in nature is maybe like a mushroom you can, is, a, is a nature product mm. yeah it's a, it's a product <laughs> that nature sells uh-huh. uh psychedelics and microdosing and any of that stuff what's your take on that you know, my, my take on that is, um, you know, I'm pretty open to it. I was looking up uh, a definition. I think it's called like a psychonaut, which is kind of a sick name. And I think it's kind of like the study of psychedelics, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of a cool term. I was down with that. But, you know, I mean, that stuff's been around forever. You know, it's like, you know, tribes have been doing it forever. And we're doing it now. There's dudes in Silicon Valley that are like, on some whole microdose freaking path, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, dude, I'm going to invent this insane company. I'm going to make millions off it. So there's something to be said about, like, what 
using that to kind of access that creativity and kind of using, you know, a natural substance to kind of, you know, get that brain flowing and get the kind of, you know, that, that creativity and kind of get those senses, you know, kicking, get, getting those pistons going. Yeah. Chris would say. Yeah. But um, I think I'm really at that point where I feel it's kind of a sacred thing, you know, and we've all gone through periods in life where we party and we have fun and um, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's rad, but I think it's also really cool to think about something as sacred and think about this thing's here for a reason and there's a lot of people that have, have used this, you know, as a ceremonial thing that I think it's kind of important to respect that and think, you know, outside of the box of like, well, there's, you know, there's this jaguar in the jungle Bad, you know, freaking incredible, dude. Wildlife, but what if, like, actual, like that camouflage on the jaguar? If you could kind of like get really out there and be like, whoa, that's actually like a map, or like using that, like, you know, that's a print, mm -hmm. you know, for some of us, but it's also like maybe a path to like, you know, who knows? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like Carlos Castaneda is a great author who kind of gets into kind of psychedelics and kind of using it as a path and kind of a knowledge builder. But there's a lot there that if you kind of use it in the right way, that you can kind of access some, some really interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've always seen it as something that drops boundaries and ball and, and, and walls. Yeah. You know, I, I use it occasionally as something, uh, you know, also like you're talking about as a, it's sacred. Yeah. Um, find a party with it, but I feel like what it does is drop, you know, ideas and walls that might, you know, if you do drop those, obviously you're going to end up being more open. Right. So do you, have you ever uh, gone out in the backcountry or, you know, done it snowboarding? Chris, both of you, I mean, is it sort of a... Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it's, um, you know, I don't really listen to music like when I'm snowboarding. I yeah. like to hear, you know, what's around me. Yeah. But um, definitely have before, and it's freaking have a great time doing it. You know, I would kind of prefer. I'm I'm very much a person that likes experiences. You mm -hmm. know, and that's kind of probably why I kind of trend towards expeditions and, yeah. and fun missions because I kind of want to be a part of something bigger and being mm -hmm. in it. And you know, that's a great gateway to something bigger. You know, and it's definitely, you know, however. Whoever you use that and whoever it's, you know, helping expand your consciousness, then, you know, mm. that's good yeah. shit. Yeah. 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 I think it's, it's definitely an interesting topic and, and, uh, being very conscious of why you might ingest something. Right. So like when I was in high school, I would, we get an eighth of mushrooms, a big, big old bag. <laughs> and then like we gobble <laughs> down the whole thing and right. drink like 12 beers and just be train wrecks. And you're like, yeah. and it's like, that's maybe not like, that's definitely like, one way to do it, you know, mm -hmm. and if that's what you're into, all good. But I don't know that that you're getting like you're not like um, I don't know if you're getting the same experience as like maybe eating a little bit of mushrooms going like for me, um, you know, I'm I'm sober. right? I don't I don't drink. Uh, I consider myself sober. I don't smoke weed. Just I don't drink. I don't do any narcotics. Um, and, and mushrooms are something that in, in my in my journey. I found uh, that, like, if I eat a little bit and I go splitboarding and I'm in nature, it's just 
it helps me connect to nature. So I've, I've heard it described as yeah. God's attempt to connect man to nature. Right. And the things that I notice are like, oh, wow, the trees, the the leaves are fluttering over there. Like those are really cool looking leaves, the, the olive on one side and the kind of like birch white on the other. And I'm just kind of like, I feel just a little bit more connected to like this deeper consciousness that, that you can tap into without mm-hmm. e- easily. Sure. 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 But but it's a bit of a it seems like a bit of a conduit for that type of stuff. Yeah, you know, you know, there's something that's there's a macro and there's a micro. And yeah. macro is like when you're a kid and you're like, oh my god, this is so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna be puking everywhere on anything, and you're like, that was not fun. For sure. Yeah. But if you're on the micro, it's like actually I'm looking at it from like a scientist scientific perspective, and it's like I can work my way up to something, you know, and in life working your way up. To having the courage to do something, it's like so rad, you know? I mean, and micro, in a sense of kind of the topic of we're on, there's something to be said about taking a micro and actually having it enhance a conversation mm-hmm. or be something like, actually, this is like something I could have at like a dinner party and just be totally like not feel anything, but all of a sudden my conversation is enhanced and all of a sudden it's just brought up incredible topics and incredible conversation that maybe I wouldn't be having, Yeah, you know, for someone that doesn't have that, you know? And I think it's also such a great, you know, for mental health in a way to kind of get through things and, um, and life, life's crazy. You know, we all have good experiences, bad experiences. And, um, yeah, Paul Stammen's kind of the the mushroom kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he had something that he had like a crazy stutter when he was a kid. Yeah, there's that crazy mushroom movie that's out on Netflix. It's a great flick. I haven't seen it. It sounds good. Yeah, but I think he had some crazy st- stutter and couldn't talk. And soon as he kind of started working through some stuff on kind of these substances, kind of got rid of that stutter and totally, you know, you know, relates to that as being that what helped him through that, mm-hmm. you know, which is pretty sick. Yeah. Yeah. You I know? can think it can, it can drop fear. Like you're saying, having a wide open conversation or maybe his speech was exactly a fear thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's actually like a really good, um, it's like a microbial Paul Stammons like spray I mm-hmm. use for like a, so I don't get sick. Mm-hmm. You know, I just kind of like take this little yeah. spritz every morning. It's, mm-hmm. It does nothing to me. It's, it's mainly for, to boost your immune system. Yeah. Mm. But I think, you know, mushrooms or, you know, LSD or all these kind of things, they're pretty incredible, and we've been doing a lot of research on them, but I'd say probably the wrong research. Um, and I think at this point we're kind of opening up to having a lot more of these conversations about these things and actually seeing them as being a sacred mm-hmm. thing and actually using them, you know, in the right way probably. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. A little more intention to doing it rather than just chucking down the eighth. Yeah, down the throat. Intention's so important in life. <laughs> I feel you know, I think yeah. it's such a good thing to have. Yeah, yeah. G- good check-in. Why am I using this? Am I using this to escape my body? Right. Because I'm uncomfortable in my own skin. Mm-hmm. Right. Or am I using this to connect with other people or nature? Mm-hmm. Those are good questions mm-hmm. to ask. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I th- I'd like to go another layer deeper. Uh, I've never done this but uh heard it's helped many people and i i've heard that you have had an ayahuasca journey if you want to share feel free if not all good sure <laughs> um yeah pretty funny um i mean i'm i'm, I'm always curious about it yeah i think it's good it's definitely 
I obviously just chuckle, but it's nothing to be taken lightly. I mean, this is um, heavy stuff and something that, you know, I looked at it when I did it as kind of um, an opportunity to, you know, grow with a partner and also kind of be able to have a reset and be able to kind of, you know, we get so busy in our work life, you know, with families and everything. And it's like so important, whatever you're doing to, you know, take that time to check back in with yourself, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that the ayahuasca um, specifically is a um, definitely, I've, you know, I think I did a ceremony once. So it was definitely something that I was interested in. And I'll probably do it again at some point in my life. Um, the specific one, we'll, I'll talk about it because it was, it was funny and interesting. Um, but it was here in Salt Lake, and it was like at this spot where everyone goes and we do film premieres now. And I was like, whoa, man, it's freaking crazy, dude, that I had an ayahuasca ceremony in the same building. <laughs> but it was, um, yeah, it was at a time, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, I guess it's... Um, I was expecting to like go out to some like yurt in the middle of nowhere and you know have eagles flying around me and just have this incredible you know experience but it was like in this local spot in town and I was like whoa this is crazy and surrounded by like 40 other people doing this thing and it was a little emotional as um with that in particular you like purge and you like go through jets you throw up and it's very could be gnarly, mm -hmm. you know, um, but it was interesting for sure and something that, you know, maybe I would work my way up to like a multi-day thing, but probably would just do it, you know, just once mm -hmm. again. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, you know, Mike could probably speak to it um, and, or Chris, you know, of it, it's something interesting and it's something that is rad, I think, and something that as you know humans and our kind of what we're brought up to think about in terms of like pharmaceuticals and medical it's it's kind of fucked up that the stuff that they you know you know are subscribe to us that it's yeah. like you got to go down this full pharmaceutical route when there's actually this natural kind of version or this yeah. homeopathic route that you could take but that's kind of on your own so mm -hmm. it's kind of so yeah, or potentially 10 years of therapy done in one, two nights. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Right. I love that, too. Just do you think about humans been on this planet? We've been here for a minute. We've been around. And you have, like, stoic philosophy where people, we've been we've been struggling with the same shit for however many hundred years. Since the beginning it's, of time. It's the beginning of time. And, like, you're like, oh, <laughs> damn, okay. Like, this is... No, nothing new, but it, you're like it's so profound and it's hundreds of years old. And same with like some of the medicines are I'd put in that same category. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, we need this new pill that Pfizer came up with or whatever fucking part of pharmaceutical company. It's like, yeah, but these these dudes in the jungle like had some shit most, figured out like hundreds of years. I ago. I think it's the opposite approach. I mean, I'm gonna generalize. I think most <clears throat> pharmaceuticals block things, and these things open things. So, I don't know. That's my shitty... Elaborate. Uh, you know, like a painkiller versus uh, feeling the pain and using something like that might heal it, like an Arnica CBD peppermint mixture to right. bring the blood to the location or 
you know, uh, a pill that, you know, the, he, this kid's the crazy kid on the block. Let's give him some drugs to mellow him out rather than getting him into skateboarding mm-hmm. to use his energy or X, Completely. X, X, like countless uh, things we could bring up. But Great yeah, I think a lot of pharmaceuticals block and a lot of yeah, prescribe psychedelics someone. and activities. Yeah, open. like completely. And you're like, yeah, I've been taking this thing for, you know, since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And you're like, whoa, dude. Maybe that's working for that yeah. person, and yeah. I totally back that. Um, but then also the the power and the beauty of like getting outside on a skateboard mm-hmm. and you know going and biking and just having that connection to actually like, wow, this is this is a really special thing, and I think that's so empowering and something that you know I'm very much into climate work and about the environment, but I feel like. In order for someone to get there, we really have to get them into nature first. You know, mm-hmm. I think we really have to introduce them to these these places and really let them experience. You know, it's like some of us, like our uncle or our grandpa, like took us camping and took us fishing, and we have that connection. But a lot of parents are so busy and mm-hmm. doing other things, and you know, we all got issues. And I think kids are just like they they need that. You know, there's a there's a book. Um, I think it's last last child in nature. But it's like something that, you know, I, I think that's another like such an opportunity for, you know, people to get in there and, and reconnect yeah. to these natural places. Yeah. Yeah. We got a guest question. Actually, it's not a guest question. It's a Patreon question from Cole Barish. Uh, he's a photographer. Maybe you've heard of him. I, I, Cole. Cole Barish. Oh, yeah, okay, he's from yeah, Massachusetts. Yeah, actually, think... the greatest uh, state in the entire country. So yeah, cool. yeah uh, um, And uh, but. Thank you to our Patreon members that support us. We really appreciate you guys. Um, so, uh, kind of a long-winded question from Cole, but it's a great one. I feel as though you're generally perceived as not just a snowboarder, but even more so an advocate for the environment. I was curious on what your approach is with each project you do. In what ways do you incorporate the environment? Are you hoping to create just awareness, or if not, what else? What one trip or project do you feel like was particularly successful in that realm and why? I'll think of, I have to think about the, the when and why, um, a little bit. Thanks call for the question. It's a rad one. Um, yeah, I'll I'll just kind of just approach it with, you know, we get into, you know, I'm just going to kind of speak for kind of surfing and snowboarding that are, pretty deeply connected to you know an environment and it's very immersive that I feel where I'm at with snowboarding I feel it's this um this connector you know and it's this thing that I could be doing to eventually maybe get to something even bigger you know I feel like there's something else out there for me that I think is the environment and it's protecting these places. And I think snowboarding is such a perfect gateway and opportunity to, you know, be doing this with someone with my friends or with someone that I just met and actually be able to kind of open up to kind of deeper and heavier topics and actually, you know, have something in common, you know, having that common ground with snowboarding that's actually like, Whoa, dude, we both love to shred. That's like, let's talk about some, some, some other stuff too, you know, that can like lead to actually, you know, you never know who you're going to have conversations with. It could be like, 
you know, a senator in D.C. It could be someone from, like, a CEO of a company that all of a sudden you're, like, having this incredible conversation with or become friends with this person and keep in touch with that person that could lead to, like, actual, you know, systemic change or, mm-hmm. or real shit happening, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel like snowboarding is that that thing for me that's allowing me to get to something bigger. And that's the environment for me. And I think as we're moving forward right now, the urgency of that couldn't be more, you know, more prominent. We need we need it so much. There was like a recent IPCC report. There's been so many coming out the last couple of years. And the last one was like a week ago. Basically saying we're fucked and basically saying that if we want to be doing something, it's it's kind of up to us, you know. So it's going to take all of us kind of working together to get there. So it's like mm-hmm. we can easily keep, you know, digging our own hole. And, you know, from the pessimist point of view that, yeah, we're all screwed and, you know, it's kind of like that's that's kind of how it goes. But from an optimist point of view, I think we can all be doing, you know, Whatever we can be doing, you know, with under our own means and doing like whatever, you know, the tools and resources that we have, do what you can. Yeah, what what is do you, do what you can look like? You know, I think do it do what you can looks like. I think you know, for everyone, that's different. You know, I think it could be you know signing petitions. It could be going to a meeting. Um, it be, could be like volunteer time. Um, we have so many incredible grassroots nonprofits in, in every town we live in. You know, it's got to tap into that, see what's going on, you know. Um, Surf Rider, Protect Our Winners, um, here in Utah, you know, uh, Heal Utah, they've kind of done a lot of work around. There was a bunch of, um, like, radioactive waste in, like, West Desert, and a lot of us don't know about that, but it was, like, some old-school shit, and we're still getting, like, waves of that stuff that come out towards Salt Lake, which is pretty messed up. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and, and then it's like, there's a lot of nonprofits that are, you know, bare bones crew and they're, you know, they're pretty strapped for cash. So it's like, if you have a skill, you know, if you're a graphic designer, if you're a photographer, if you're data analysis, dude, like give those guys a shout and, you know, offer to do some volunteer work with those guys. Hook mm-hmm. them up. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, how about like daily actions too? Just like simple things uh, at home or yeah, I mean those things add up too. Yeah, the simple things add up for sure, and I think those. Um, I think we're at that point where a lot of us are kind of you know open enough that I don't really got to talk about what people should and shouldn't be yeah, doing yeah. because I think we're very tuned in to you know the problems that are going on with the world. Mm-hmm. Um, climate is an interesting one because before it was kind of out of sight, out of mind. You'd hear about the ice caps melting, you know, glaciers receding, polar bears dying. And that's that's not in front of me. I can't really see that. I'm not really connected to it. Mm-hmm. But now we're that we're getting all these erratic storms and it's very much the tail gets skipped either way. Too much snow. You know, heat wave. Crazy windstorm. I was trying to do a, a pod with Chris a couple of years ago and it was like the craziest windstorm ever. <laughs> and he made the shut everything down. So yeah. We see this stuff happening, so it's now it's prevalent. It's it's a little bit more, you know, and we're getting these. They're called climate refugees in a sense, and it's like people that are living on the front lines of these places that you know it's like freaking the water water rising is real, you know, and it's places in Florida that are going to be underwater at some point. Griff and I were talking the other day about these like oil rigs and oil companies kind of preparing for this. 
and kind of raising their rigs mm -hmm. up a certain level because they knew that sea level rise was going to get there. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of, they know it's going to happen. So for a lot of us, you know, in our daily lives, we're just kind of going on being mm -hmm. humans. But I think just being tuned into it, I think is important. Talk, talk to your friends about it. Have, have good conversations. Be open to what your kids are into, you know? I think, um, obviously, yeah, just try, I mean, for me, I try to live an examined life and kind of be conscious about, you know, what I'm doing and what I'm trying to do, do better, you know? It's like, be the change you want to see. I think that's the most important, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yep. I like that. That's good stuff. I, I also, like, we've, we've had uh, some other POW activists on and the idea of imperfect activism really mm -hmm. appeals <clears throat> appeals to me. Yeah, I think that's a really big one, Chris. And imperfect activism is, you know, doing what you can. Um, <clears throat> we don't have to do everything, you know. Yeah. It's like as soon as you try to take all this weight on, on your back, it's like so much weight, dude. You're going to get burnt out so quick. And all of a sudden you're like, dude, it's it's all me, you know. And it's, yeah, it's it's you, but it's, it's all of us, you know. Mm -hmm. It's about, like, getting to these giant corporations of being like, dude, let's elect these people out of office and get climate champions in there, you know. Let's get people that want to care about these places, you know. And it's just a matter of time before our renewables are going to get cheaper than oil and gas. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a fact. We're, we're like, mm -hmm. right there. And when that happens, it's, it's good for the economy, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know. So I think... A lot of these companies and big businesses, you know, they're already on that path towards changing, mm -hmm. but they're trying to, you know, squeeze the last exactly, you know, drop. Out I of mean, that. that's that's <laughs> capitalism right there, you know. So it's like let's flip capitalism on its head and like let's actually like make a difference, mm -hmm. you know. And vote with your dollars a good. That's vote a good. With I love that. Yeah. Vote with your dollars, huge, dude. You know, it's like there's so many brands out there doing great things, and just do a little research, do a little knowledge. Mm -hmm. You know, one percent with the planet, B Corporation. I obviously work for, work with Patagonia as one of my main sponsors, and you know, I kind of relate to like a thing that I would be using even if I didn't support that company, just because I believe in it. You know, mm -hmm. I think that's such a good way to live your life is just be passionate about something you know mm -hmm. yeah and support support other people that are passionate about these things that are actually looking to make make a change in this world and make it for the better yeah yeah Definitely. Mm. Uh, a concept that i think is really interesting and and it makes the most sense to me but i'm a little bit perplexed by it so it's, i think it's a good conversation um it's like it's just buy less shit right like right. that that's that's like it, it's it's definitely like makes it like every time you buy something it needs to be made in a factory and shipped and driven across this and it's like and most of the shit goes to a giant corporation that you know doesn't give a shit about anything right a lot you know a lot of that with the amazons and things like that so it's like uh but it also is a complex issue because then you're buying less stuff. How does the you know how does the company stay in business? Like, does that do people lose jobs? Like, is our, what happens to the economy? I, I, I'm not an economist, and I don't pretend to know anything about the market. But like, it seems like a great solution, but it also seems like it could be at a certain point problematic, maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, as a business, it's like your whole business model is based off, you know, <laughs> yeah, staying so, in business. Exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Buying more stuff. I mean, I think. Um, you know, back to like the supporting good brands and, um, 
you know, voting with your dollar, it's like, you know, thinking about buying something and thinking about like what that company stands for, their carbon footprint. How does it get there? Is that stuff, you know, transparent? Mm -hmm. So I can like learn about that stuff. And then going all the way to like how that product's made. Is, is it made from organic cotton? Is it made, you know, is it made to last a long time? You know, is that product, you may be, you know, paying a little bit more for something, but it's essentially going to last longer if, if that's, you know, if that's product made, is made from a good brand that mm -hmm. you're like, oh, this is actually, I support what these people are doing. Looks like this is actually something rad. And so I want to keep this thing in play, you know? Yeah. I think it's like our landfills are so bogged down with, with trash that we're, we're going to have to get creative and we're going to have to, you know, recycle those things in a way that if you get rid of a product, you have to make another product out of that product, mm -hmm. you know? So I think the, the full circle life cycle of, of something that's on our planet, I mean, you know, as, you know, our population grows, so do all the shit we use is. So I think that's the most important thing is like how, how do we keep, you know, our carbon footprint down in a sense like that. And mm -hmm. I think, yeah, it's definitely getting to that way already of, you know, having something and keeping it in play, yeah. um, fixing it if it's broken. Yeah. Your passing pants. It on. Your yeah. pants had that patch on it. That was really cool. The Patagonia's. Yeah. The Warnware. Yeah, yeah so it's a, uh, it's a program that Patagonia started. Um, a lot of other brands are, are doing great stuff like that now, but it's uh, a whole kind of network and facility um, prep to repair your gear. So you mm -hmm. send it back. Um, Patagonia has uh, kind of a, a structure set in place at Warnware where you can essentially have your old gear and take it to a store or send it back. Um, if it needs repair and you want to keep that thing going sick, or you can actually get like credit towards getting something new, mm -hmm. you know? And I think you can buy a bunch of cool vintage pieces and also reworked pieces too, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Cool. yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a rad concept. It's incredible, I think. And, um, I'm, I'm definitely backing it. And for me, yeah, I had, um, one where it has this uh, pretty cool, it's called Tenacious Tape. So it's kind of like duct tape, but uh, for your outerwear. Hmm. And if you have a rip, tear it on something, um, patch it up. You know, you can put this tape on it and it's good as new and keeps the life cycle of your gear in play and you're back out there shredding, you know? So yeah, yeah I'm back in Warmware for sure. And it just provides this whole opportunity for you as a consumer to think about whoa, do I need that new stuff? Maybe I'll buy something used instead of something new. Mm -hmm. And then actually, maybe I'm going to fix it before mm -hmm. I even think about that. Mm -hmm. You know? Love it. Yeah. I like that too, thinking about like, you're like, oh, maybe this t-shirt is like made from recycled materials. But even better than that, like the t-shirt that you're already wearing is like the best, like not buying anything is the best. Yeah. If you're looking at pure... Uh, footprint on the planet it's like completely it's like actually just not like you might feel great about the recycled thing but also like just not buying anything you're it is is kind of like the ultimate that's a statement it's the real it's the most eco thing the most exactly. it's the most eco thing you can do is not buy anything right like yeah it's it's a cool concept and it makes sure. sense with like you know i've even heard it been talked about with vehicles where you're like oh you know you get a new um electric car and and which is phenomenal 
but then also you can drive a, a car into the ground. Like using driving a car until it does not drive anymore is like way less of a footprint than been, a brand new electric. Yeah, that's car. a great concept. Completely. Yeah, right? I got a 1980 Land Cruiser right now that you know I went from like <laughs> a a Subaru before that, and I'm you know kind of the slowest fast model mm-hmm. of like yeah I'm stoked to get there, but I'm gonna enjoy the journey mm-hmm. in this thing, and I'd like to get a hybrid at some point, but I'm kind of waiting for them to get a little bit cheaper before I get one. Yeah. So right now it's like enjoy what you have and make it work, you know. Yeah. And it's opportunity to learn how to fix stuff, and you know have that you know we were talking about it earlier that craftsman mm-hmm. opportunity to learn learn some totally. stuff along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, older things are just simple and nice and easy to work on. Now yeah. you got a wiring harness this big on, like, God forbid anything happens, like a brand new vehicle because you're just fucked. You can't do anything. Exactly. So. All right. Uh, I think it's a good time to get into you know what, Mike. What? It's a special part of the show. Um, we do it every time. Is it when we snort stuff out of the... the, the well, the smelling salts? Bottle, yeah. Well, I mean, we we smell them. It's oh, not like you're we're talking s- about. We don't physically snort anything. Let's be clear. Okay. It's like you give you it a little it. bit of a whiff. I've only done it once. I'm well, right. uh, well. All right. Before name the video part, let's hit a uh, run let's through. Let's get them fired up. Let's get them fired up. All right, we're getting tuned up for the name your video part, yeah. and I guess give we're that doing. A pinch. Um, <laughs> give that a pinch, Mike. Would you we're like doing one? smelling salts? Let's go for it. <laughs> so it says <laughs> these um, are basically the same as granola. Same as granola. All right. These are. On the skin track, they're going to give you energy. This is pharmaceutical <laughs> granola. This is their organic USDA probe grown naturally here in <laughs> Utah. Right. It's actually brine shrimp. Um. <laughs> so they're basically growing smelling salts out in the Great Salt Lake. They right are, now. yeah. We harvest them now. We, we actually <laughs> went and we harvested them ourselves. <laughs> That's right. where Buds is actually. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's harvesting Pomo brine has shrimp. their own facility. <laughs> yeah. we have our own, it's a, creating smelling salts. Yeah. We need a brine. visual for that. It's eco-friendly. It's uh, solar-powered, hydro-powered. Wow. And, uh, we make our own salts. Okay, so... Uh, local. Local. It's I locally it. grown. Locally grown salts. So have you done one of these for us? You just give it a squeeze, and then you give it a whack. We don't have to go straight uh, hockey and just freaking you hit it with my head and I mean, open I, it up or something. I mean, you can do it. It seems kinda like you're however you want. Some people hit it hard. Other yeah. people kind of... But you just uh, crack it to open it. Okay. You squeeze it, uh-huh. and it'll pop, and then you give it a whiff. So I got to go first? Yeah. All right. Hello. He's going back for more. He's gonna, no. You do oh, it like good. I do. You squeeze it yeah. and tease it. Chris. See, I kind of work. I kind of. Oh. Oh, Jesus. You guys. I like to do oh. a figure. Oh, you got We got a strong oh, batch. Oh, my God. I feel like I'm a little batch. kid in a pool a and I just batch. dove in and I'm just like, my shorts just melted off me because yeah. there's so much ammonia. And fucking yeah, we, those are, again, shit. organic oh and local. Straight from the Salt Lake. Wow. All right, it's time for name that video part. Oh, oh. <laughs> hello. <laughs> Woo. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and talk to you guys about the Icon Pass. Now, with the Icon Pass, they have access to over fifty of the best destinations in the world, and right now we got some special springtime offers. Uh, prices go up $100 and promos go away on April 21st. So pick up your season pass now. After this, spring benefits go away, including renewal discounts of up to $100, savings of up to $200 on child passes, an APR for as low as 0% on a payment plan, and of course, immediate access to spring riding at up to 13 destinations. 
Basically, you buy a pass for next season, you'll have some spring access to 13 destinations, including Big Bear, Snow Valley, Blue Mountain, Stratton, Sugarbush, Snowshoe, Steamboat, Mammoth, Palisades, Winter Park, Tremblant, Solitude, and Deer Valley. Icon Pass Travel is your one-stop shop for adventure. The new 23-24 pass holders buy before April 21st and save $100 U.S. on every vacation booked before May 5th, 2023. The good stuff is waiting. And let's get into name that video part. Uh, what is your confidence level 0 through 10? Ooh, name your video part is a big one. Um, we're gonna go two point five. Two point five. Right. Okay. You know, I didn't go easy on on him. You told me what it was, and I was like, "Wow." Yeah, like I I don't think it's a meatball. It's not a meatball. But I think he's gonna get but it. It's not. It's not, a, a it's not a left field either. Yeah, it's not a meatball, but it's it's like a slider that's a little bit. It's. It's not a meatball. It's a changeup, is what it is, <laughs> but it doesn't have a lot of movement. So you can still whale this thing. Mm-hmm. These are baseball pitch references. because <laughs> People ask me, what's a meatball? It's like a meatball is a big baseball coming at you that you just, you're just you about to just clobber, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. more of a more of a changeup okay, coming at you. All right. Uh, it's uh, a good day. Good day. It's Better a good physical day. style. It's a good day. Better physical it's style. A good day. All right. I think I got it. No, it's a Mueller part. Booyah. It's a good song. Booyah. He is good. He's airing some sick shit. Half cabs, front ones. Yep. Those are this is all correct. But uh what's the film? Jesus, what's dude. What's the film company? What's the production company? No, it's absinthe for sure. So there's two, two for three. I mean, you heard I'm gonna give you the win. <laughs> you got Mueller. That's absinthe, good enough for Mueller. me. Mueller. We're gonna go um saturation. Not correct. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> We're gonna go pop. Correct. Oh. All right. All right. Wow, okay. Hold on. I think I got applause on here. Let's give him some applause. Thank yeah. You guys. yeah. Good job. Good job, Forrest. You did a great job. Great job. <laughs> great job, Forrest. Awesome. Love the absolute. <laughs> you're, 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 awesome. Your voice is not changed. Well, they have the most incredible soundtracks. Um, if you ever get a chance, try to find Tribal. Those kind of. You know, we all get into a lot of music through films, and that one had some bangers for sure. Well, you won this uh, Yeti. Wow. Uh, Carry-all. Carry-all. So, uh, it's great. Uh, I know you're familiar with their products. You got nice. a whole bunch of bomb hole merch in there. I love it, dude. We got the Camino. You got the Camino 20. I what? Uh, yeah, what, do you think I could like take a shower in that thing? You know what nothing I'm, on the glacier? Put some firewood see, in there? Where, what? what I see you doing with that, I see you going down to the beach. Yeah. And you, you got a towel in there. You got some snacks. You got some granola. You got some matcha. You know, maybe you got all kinds of crunchies, some type of like, you know, patchouli oil type of situation. And, he, and then he empties it out and then soaks his feet with Epsom salts. Mm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you just put a ton of granola in there, a little Aussie, and I yeah. just got a fatty Ooh. bowl. You just eat the, the you just eat right out of it. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just one huge spoon. Yeah, so that thing's perfect for, you know, winter, summer, all kinds of activities. Thanks, boys. Uh, part two of Name That Video Part is for our listeners. It's not for you. Uh, so if you know what video part it is, Comment on the photo of Forrest when his episode comes out, and that's where we pick our winner on Instagram. Here we go. Damn. Okay. Thank you guys for playing. Name that video part. 
All right. Um, let's talk to Nally. Denali's. Let's do Denali's. Heard for you're sure. you're a summit. You've summited the Yukon Denali before. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the. <laughs> Is that who made it? Your Chevy? Your Chevy Yukon Denali? I think the Yukon Denali. That's two different GMC. Trucks. GMC Denali. Yeah, we yeah. drove that thing up GMC the GMC Yukon Denali. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you summited some type of SUV from what yeah, I Yeah, what's up with car companies? It's like the Telluride. The freaking, oh, true. Right? The, Avalanche. Um, right, the Avalanche. Mm-hmm. Subaru Baja. Mm-hmm. The, the Tundra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Great names. Mm-hmm. I have a Canyon, you know, GMC Canyon. Canyon. Great truck. Do you drive yeah. a Denali? Um, no, no, I drove a Tundra, no. but you didn't pick one up after no. you summoned it. You should have. But I, flex. I did. I know, a, I know a girl named Denali. She's super cool. And then I, I knew a dog named Denali. R.A.P. Mm-hmm. Sick dog, but great name. Um, O.G. Um, yeah. So Alaska Denali. Denali's is the uh, highest peak in North America. You know, twenty-one chow. <laughs> a little bit more than that. But um, I think something like that. But uh, yeah, I think what was the deal? I think Nick and I decided Nick Russ to do a Denals trip and um, give the homie their horn. We decided to put an all star cast together. Um, this was like 2019 or some shit. But um, incredible trip. Pick some homies. It was kind of a trip on some of those like bigger missions. You kind of just want to bring homies. You want to have a crew that's you're gonna have fun with. Mm-hmm. And Denals, we're like, okay, we're gonna go up there for a couple of weeks. We heard there's some sick terrain to actually ride up there. Once you kind of get over twenty, kind of gets into the death zone, mm-hmm. where the air's thin up there. Snow is not that good. <laughs> it's pretty icy, so it's kind of rolling the dice if you're gonna get. You know, good snow. But there is rad terrain up there. So we were on a kind of mission to, to go shred. And this was a shred trip. Um, we kind of assembled an all-star cast, a couple of the homies, um, myself, Danny Davis. Wow. He was a shoe-in. Awesome. Um, I got to pick kind of someone that I thought would do great on the trip. So I, I grabbed Ian Walsh. Mm-hmm. He's a big wave surfer from Maui, but just wow. has an incredible kind of fitness level. Um, he's on Red Bull with Nick, so definitely dude knows his shit. So I brought Ian with me, and it was pretty rad to have him along. And then we had just a, a crew of just shredders. Um, our buddies Harry and Jerry, and then uh, Murph and Clark. So some Colorado and some Wyoming boys. So a bunch of ledges. But uh, yeah, we decided to go up there. June and brought enough food and enough <coughs> gear to stay up there for a month or something, mm. which was epic. Um, ended up working out, solid weather while we were there. Um, kind of later you go in the year, the more sun you're going to get, but also um, less good snow. So, like, we were up there in June. It's a great time to go. Um, and yeah, proceeded to get great weather. Have a solid crew, and we ended up riding every single line on the mountain that was uh, shreddable. And I think the last last time that had been done was like 20 years ago. And some first descents, right? Yeah, yeah, and a couple first descents as well. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and so we were able to shred off the actual summit of Denali. Picture perfect day. Um, wow. Not a ton of wind. We were up there at maybe like 10 at night. Got back down to like 
camp at like midnight or something. It was mm. insane. Is there a story about uh, some type of like sleeping pad? Yeah. So on an expedition like that, and just <laughs> snow camping in general, you kind of want to have your uh, amenities dialed. And um, I think on that particular trip, you didn't want to forget anything. And uh, I think I kind of overlooked maybe a couple items, but there was one in particular that um, kind of threw me for a spin. And um, yeah, expeditions, you kind of have uh, different camps that are kind of set and established. So I think I got up to maybe maybe camp two and uh, looked into my bag and I didn't see a sleeping pad in there. And for those um, new to the camp vibes, that's kind of, you have your your sleeping bag, and then the pad is the thing that kind of um, insulates you from the snow underneath. So I was down a sleeping pad, and I was about to camp on a very high mountain in the middle of nowhere for about a month. <laughs> and the boys were like, oh, it's fine. You'll be good. Like, we got ropes. You can, like, lay out all the ropes. Plenty comfy, you know. Like, I got this chair. Sleep on the chair. <laughs> You know, so they were trying to make me feel better, and um, my sleeping pad was back at the airfield, back in town in Tokitna. So I was like, fuck, dude, how am I going to get that thing up here? You know, maybe I could have got up to 14 and, you know, offered to barter something for some other dude that was bailing the mountain. But, um, yeah, I think we had our inreach, and I was able to hit a homie up that was coming out. Um my buddies Adam Fabricant, Noah Howell, some other dudes that were going on some super spicy mission, and I decided to be like, "Yo, hook a homie up. We bring my uh, my sleeping pad up," and they're like, "Yeah, for sure, we got you." But the thing was, is um, you land from town onto this glacier, the Kalahitna, and then from the Kalahitna at where the plane lands, you proceed to like walk like twenty miles up this mountain to get you know primed for your summit attempt and to get to zones where you can tread. And so I was like, all right, the pad's back at the airstrip, back down at like seven. And um, proceeded to just be like, all right, dude, I got to go get that thing. And went on a solo mission. <laughs> In June. In June. You know, luckily the freaking the glacier was pretty fat. So that zone's known for just these giant freaking gaping holes that just go to the center of Earth. <laughs> You know, and on the glacier. Are there critters cruising around? No, you're you're up in like the death zone, so okay. there's like there's nothing no, up there. That's yeah, good. but but if you did fall in the hole, we we wouldn't find you. Yeah, yeah, unless you're roped in. Yeah, but this, the glacier was pretty fat, so I was able to shred all the way down almost. You know, I think I, I left at like maybe five, and just kind of left the homies as we were kind of moving up our base camps up to fourteen, and we were in between like eleven and fourteen. I was like, all right, go get it. Uh, my buddy Clark was like, all right, I'll, I'll hang in 11 until you get back. I'll wait, I'll make you some food. So I was like, sick, thanks, dude. So I proceeded to go down there, solo mission, shredded a while, skinned forever, got down, grabbed it, saw some other buddies that I know. They made me some water, gave me a little snack, and it was kind of a quick turnaround. <laughs> and then I was like, dude, all right, I better get back up before it gets dark didn't really get dark that time of the year, so the kind of sun just kind of dips over the horizon. So I was kind of just walking forever, and I would just see, like, something out in the distance, and it's kind of a lot of people that are up there on expeditions, and a ton of people, like, skiing, or just, like, they're kind of just going on climbers, climbing the mountain, and you would just kind of see people just out of 
you can see them so far away, like 10 miles away on the glacier, and they're kind of like coming towards you because it's kind of like, it's kind of the trade route for the mountains. So they're actually on their way back, and you're like, what's up with this guy? Did he have a good trip? Like, did he summit? He kind of looks down, and these are zones where you gonna you have to carry your own shit, literally, like your your poop. Mm-hmm. So they have um, this like big freaking circle, freaking um, there's a name for it, can't remember, but you put all your shit in there and you bring it down. Yeah, it's kind of like you get a big ticket and a fine mm. if you don't do that. So this guy's like dragging a shit freaking can down the mountain, and just like, dude, this dude looks gnarly. And all of a sudden, you just cross his path, and you're like, whoa, dude. He's on a crazy mission solo, and I'm on a crazy mission solo. Yeah. Like, dude, can't believe I saw another human out here. And I proceeded to just, like, get up the hill. I think I got back at 2 in the morning, just freaking slog. Like, I had, um, at that point, I always had, like, some something sick I was listening to, and I think it was the Beastie Boys um, book, listening to it. And mm-hmm. it was, like, incredible, you know, read by all these different actors and Sonic Youth and Kim Gordon and Will Ferrell and all these rad people. So recommend that one for a... If you're doing Denali, mm-hmm. get on that. But uh, rally back up, fueled up, and we made it up to 14. And again, just insane trip with a solid crew. We ended up making a sick film about it. It's called The Big One. You can find it on YouTube. I think Rogue did it. Um, solid. One of those trips of a lifetime for sure. And definitely something that I think for Nick, probably myself, that kind of, you know, little kick in the ass of like, dude, I want to do more stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's definitely something that you're like kind of jumping into a whole different realm of mountaineering and, and ski mountaineering and, and snowboard. And that's the stuff that like Jim Zellers and some of these other legends have just got these incredible stories. Jim rode down Half Dome mm. at one point in time. Wow. And it's just like this psycho story of this dude like somehow figuring out when snow stuck to this giant face um, and it was crazy, dude. So definitely inspo from a lot of these dudes and pretty rad to kind of jump into something like that where yeah. you're kind of taking the time to logistically figure out a place that you want to get to and kind of setting that all up for success, mm-hmm. essentially. Incredible. Uh, I got a bit of information from Andrew Miller, and he said that you did zero training for that mission, too. Yeah, I think I went to uh, the Mentor Eyes with Jerry Lopez and, and ALO before that trip. <laughs> <laughs> I love those dudes a lot. And um, yeah, I was like, dude, if I'm going to go really cold, I might as well get like really hot before that. Mm-hmm. And usually people do the opposite. Yeah. It's like you go cold yeah. and then you go down to Mexico or something. But for some reason, I had it in my head. It's like, <laughs> Preheat. Yeah, preheat, dude. Just yeah. like if you're gonna preheat the oven, if you're gonna end up on the glacier forever. Might as well like just be like, oh, that was kind of sick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no gear needed down there. No gear needed, and you know, chilling. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's kind of go uh, when everybody goes right, fuck a left. Mm. Like that, I like it. Uh, all right, another thing I want to bring up is uh, uh, you filmed for further in the in Jeremy Jones's series. And in that video, um, there is one of the most her like gnarliest rag dolls I've ever seen of anybody doing a snowboard. And I think like it's good for the audience, you know, to to hear a story of you know making a decision, making a wrong decision, and, and having to go south, and and what you learn from it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's um, further. We were in Japan. It's a pretty, you know, um, pretty gnar face. And there was a line that kind of I had 
um, in my head at the time that, you know, I committed to, um, got flushed down the line, just straight, like ringered into some rocks, bounced off some stuff. It was like being in like a washing machine at the laundromat and like the fatty ones, just like <laughs> throw a bunch of shoes in there and some duffels. And you're just like, what is that thing? Just banging in the wash, dude. It was kind of gnarly, but, um, it was a lion that had a clean run out. So I knew at some point I was going to get spit out the other side. Um, but definitely an eye-opening one for me that was like, dude, slough is no joke. As much as like we worry about avies, like slough is definitely something that just moves so quick. Mm. You know, and that's something when you go to Alaska, you're always kind of like, watch out for your slough. Go like left to right, right to left, kind of have that in mind. And if you are, you know, in that battle with slough, either you're going to have to run it out you're going to have to battle through it, mm-hmm. you know? So I think for that one, it was a big one for me and one that I was like, oh, dude, that shook me up. I ended up being okay from it and went out and rode the next day. And I think that's something to be said about you get bucked off the horse, you get right back on. Mm-hmm. You got to learn it. Sometimes. You got to learn it for sure. And I think um, a lot of us have – a lot of risks that we've kind of went through and I think it's important to kind of get back out there when you can and be able to kind of work through that stuff, you know, cause a lot of times that'll, that'll affect you for a long time if you don't. Mm-hmm. Agreed. In the words of uh, Derek Zoolander, they say, uh, what do you do when you fall off the horse? He says, I don't know, Ari, I'm not a gymnast. <laughs> <laughs> we got a guest question from Andrew Miller. Here we go. Good morning, bomb hole. Grandies, Eastone, Morrison. Uh, it's Andrew Miller here. Wanted to call in with a few questions for Forrest. Um, well, first off, I wanted to give a massive shout out and thank you to Forrest. We've been friends and shooting together for 15 plus years. Forrest, you've helped me so much over my career, especially in the beginning and still to this day. I can't really thank you enough and there's no doubt I wouldn't be where I am at today without your friendship and support. So thank you so much, man. Um, On the topic of photography and shooting, Forrest, you hustle it so hard, man. You're constantly going on photo missions here and there on such a broad spectrum of adventures with tons of different photographers from all over. It seems like you start from the first snowfall and you keep going until the last snow of summers melted each season. Um, What I want to know is, you know, after all of these years, what keeps driving and motivating you to still want to shoot? you know, what's your process of inspiration when looking for new places or trying to get certain shots? I always love shooting with you because you bring so many ideas to the table and we always talk a lot about different angles and it always feels like way more of a collaboration to get a good photo than just me spraying and praying. Sweet. Well, thanks, guys. I hope you have fun today. Bye. <laughs> love it. Sick, Andrew. Thanks for the question. Um, huge inspiration and fan of you as well, dude. I mean... There's so many photographers out there and there's a few, you know, that really stick out as being like some of the greats. And again, it's like to be creative year after year and whether you're shooting in a resort or, you know, any kind of landscape, it's pretty incredible what you've accomplished and um, what can you continue to do on a a daily basis. Um, Yeah, I love photography on the side. I I kind of take a film camera with me everywhere just kind of like a little point and shoot, keep it in my pocket. 
primarily just to shoot kind of those in-between moments, you know? I love to kind of get the behind the scenes and just kind of have, you know, something so rad about film and just to have that and just kind of do the whole process and you turn it in and you get something cool back. And we go to these places, might as well document it. You know? Have the memories, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I shoot a lot of my phone. It's crazy what the iPhone can do now. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. I mean, you get iPhone shots all the time that are bangers. Um, had a couple photos published, like, here and there. Um, but uh, for Andrew's point, man, I just love to shoot. You know, I love to kind of be out there in the mountains. And I think um, it shows, you know, for me in terms of the content and kind of continual drive to kind of be out there from the start of the season to the end, you know, I think there's a lot that hasn't been done and uh, has been done that, you know, you can tweak and and do something different, you know, get inspiration. It's like we get inspiration from everywhere, you know, from skating, from surfing, Mm -hmm. surfing especially, but art and, you know, different aspects of, you know, lighting and a place in a landscape. And I think it's such a cool opportunity to like use your own, you know, your own style of shredding and, and kind of adapt and, you know, morph into, you know, wanting to like what what trick would work well at this spot or, you know, what term would be good or what what's the right time of day to do that, you know, mm-hmm. black and white, you know, color. But I think it's so fun to be able to play with light and play you know, really kind of think about it. Not so much like, fuck, yeah, this could be a cool trick, but, you know, what? how would this be, you know? This would be really cool, you know? And I think we all go into a, a season and at a resort at our home zone and we have these spots and it's so rad to continue to shred a zone and continue to build off something that you'd done before or do it different or revisit something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you guys Love think? That. Dude, you just eloquently answered that. That was a perfect answer. I mean, I really <clears> like what Andrew brought up, too. And you talking about shooting. I didn't know you shot photos. Mm. Well, I think we all are nerds for this, right? Shoot, we study right? with these magazines, and we study the videos. and So we're all already kind of seeing it like a photographer, even if we're not one. But once you pick up a camera and are able to sort of connect with that, someone like Andrew, yeah, who's, I agree, completely amazing, um, you can probably even take that to the next level together and collaborate. Yeah. I love that collaborative thing. Dude, that's such a cool opportunity to work with someone and to, you know, work with, you know, um, Todd Glasser. Todd Glasser, I think he's a surf guy, legend. He takes incredible photos, but he's worked with Slater or Machado and just continues to get these really cool, unique images that mm-hmm. are just like, wow. Iconic. You know, they're just so rad and you know, even Thomas Campbell or Spike Jones that have kind of been in the game for so long and they've kind of adapted and doing different mediums, Mm -hmm. but they've kind of all kind of originated from photo and Mm -hmm. really been able to kind of create, you know, work that continues to be inspirational that kind of has set the bar and set the standard for for what we're doing now, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. Snowboarding is, snowboarding's hard, dude. It's really hard to like, be you know even from like the side of a heli like looking down like what kind of justin is kind of established in alaska it's like or you know some of like the climbing photographers it's like those dudes are like nat geo war photographers like Mm -hmm. some of the best photo guys that i i see a dude and i see i'll 
bent his cameras and how, you know, bashed in. I'm like, dude, that thing's been around. It's probably seen some stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's rad to see, you know, just tap in and check, check what people are doing and, you know, ask questions and, you know, mm -hmm. don't, don't be afraid to like ask a photographer or an athlete, what's up? Like, where do you get this inspiration from? Or what do you think about this? Would this be cool? And dude, we're all open and we're all really stoked to share that info. And I think that's another thing of snowboarding that, you know, continues to produce incredible, you know, athletes and incredible <clears throat> media people that now in the future, I think we're in a good place for that. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I like what you guys do too in the bigger mountains because I think in maybe more street snowboarding it's so trick based yeah. or, or a lot of the photos that I think about it's like you want fisheye and the stairs and it's like right. the body mechanics and the trick look really mm -hmm. cool the way it fills the frame and fills the page and the riders the, the main subject in the middle of the frame in, in a lot of the stuff we do. But a lot of the stuff that you do is just like in Andrew's incredible at, at that as well as as taking a picturesque peak and like lighting and you know Alpenglow or whatever's going on and just like capturing that toe side on on a little wave, you know, or little just whacking some type of you know rock face like right underneath it, right right above it or whatever you know and like. And and it's like something you would frame, and you're like, damn, yeah. that's like a photo that would go in National it's Geographic. Like, it's like fine art. Yeah, it's like fine art. Right. Like I look at a lot of Andrew's stuff, <clears throat> and I've actually DM'd him this before, but it, it looks like fine art. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of cases. Yeah. And, and you have action mixed in, so it's really a beautiful thing. For sure, dude. Um, it's incredible, dude. There's a again to like playing with light and kind of you know, the thought process of picking a spot and then doing a trick or a turn or a line there, you know, it's like bigger picture style. It's like actually this landscape and this like spot with a rider in it. It's like, it's, it's art. It's definitely like brings that whole other element and depth and dimension into photography and into our sport, which I think is such a rad thing. And I think to like, some of the most iconic shots that we see are, are kind of along those lines mm -hmm. that it brings so much more depth into like the story behind that thing, mm -hmm. you know, behind that trick or behind that spot or line that you're just like, dude, makes you kind of want to go to these places. And it's like, yeah, to do that same thing there, but also just to like, be like, Whoa, dude, that's that spot, you know, mm -hmm. it's pretty rad. And, mm -hmm. You know, growing up as a kid, you would do that with skating, you know, you totally. take yeah. the bus to a spot and just be mm -hmm. like, dude, iconic spot. It's rad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love that. And just as much so, like a 35 millimeter fisheye photo of somebody like with some motion blur on it is almost like just as much of an art. Oh, yeah. For sure. Right? It's totally. like it's so beautiful that we have such, um, you know, yin and yang and, mm -hmm. and there's room for it all. So that's yeah, great. that's what makes it so rad. You know, I love mm -hmm. that. I was on this trip recently for Yeti. with My buddy Kyle Connington is this epic chef, 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 really kind of high end chef. Michelin star dude, um, and he makes these epic dishes. Um, they're called Danabis, Danabe. And he brought us word kashiki. Um, and the Danabe is this earthenware pot where you make this dish, um, cook it all day long. You have these incredible conversations, you know, about life, and then you eat it. Yeah, and we were kind of on this epic porch doing this shoot for Yeti where I was kind of sharing my experiences with him on Japan, and then at the same time, he was sharing his stuff that he learned from there. And he brought up this word on lighting and framing. 
that was really cool in terms of how me as a split border and kind of what I'm into, how I'm kind of framing up the mountains in a way like that, where it's more of like this deep, meaningful thing. It's kind of sick. All right, that's beautiful. Well, we happen to have a guest question from none other than Josh Dirksen. Hey, Forrest, it's Dirksen. Excited to hear that you're sitting down with the bomb hole crew. You nervous? I was nervous. But anyways, I got a question for you. It seems like you've always been connected with the coolest brands and products. I think it's one of the many qualities that make you an amazing pro snowboarder. Some sponsors like Jones and Patagonia, you've been riding for decades, while other sponsors were short and sweet. Can you list all of your sponsors, starting with the beginning? Which sponsor was your favorite? Which sponsor was the most unique? Look forward to hearing your your episode. Have fun. See ya. <laughs> yes, Josh. Josh is a ledge. Not only does he have an insane turn, but he's a super good friend of mine, a homie. Um, kind of competing with the Bombhole Cup, but uh, he's got the Derby. I'm excited to hear there's a splitboard race mm-hmm. this year, Bombhole Cup. We've been trying to do one in Europe for the Derby, so at some point it's going to happen. Postponed until next year, so TBD. But um, yeah, to Josh's point, um, we're all kind of gear nerds in a sense, and kind of goes along with snowboarding and, you know, talking about product and diving in deep to the nitty gritty on rad stuff. I know kind of Craig Kelly was a big product nerd as well. Um, and it's rad being able to kind of work with a brand and kind of dive in deep and actually like see something that you got to help work with and help kind of bring to life. Um, but yeah, talking about the brands that I've worked with, there's been so many over the years, so I'm not going to list like from when I started to where I am now. There's probably too many, but I'll mention Align Snowboards again. Um, Align was probably one of the funner ones, that it was just like such a rad crew um, and an opportunity for me to, you know, use that, you know, mode of transportation, which is snowboarding and get to Sweden and get to Japan and, you know, have these incredible time with um, Igmar and Strom and Pierre Wakeberg. Mm-hmm and get to Japan and, you know, do demos. I mean, I really, I think I mentioned, I didn't mention, but I was in Japan at this crazy demo one time for a lion and it was for LibTech and like Pete Sari, Jamie Lim was there, Willie McMillan, pretty incredible. And it was like the most psycho park demo ever. There was the biggest hip I've ever seen. And it was, there was an opportunity to hit the hip or you could air all the way over it, just freaking spine gap, this giant freaking setup, springtime. Um, at a time where I didn't go there to ride pow. And it was kind of sick, super fun. Um, yeah, and I proceed to like, we're warming up to hit like this whole thing, like a freaking giant hit, and proceed to see Ingo air this thing over the top, and we're at the top of the run in, and we see him bounce off the top of the deck and there's all these pads and just like didn't clear it bounced somehow igmar skills kind of landed back on his feet well that was like dude that was gnarly <laughs> i think he like collapsed his lung Oof. or something so he had to chill in japan for a couple more weeks wow it was kind of mess dude but i think me and strom we were simultaneously um doing methods he's rag and goof on both sides of the hip wow and it kind of worked out 
to somebody else did it with me, but I remember airing over the whole thing and doing a back three or something, but it ended up like shutting down this demo and it ended up being an incredible party after that. Awesome. I remember like hanging out with both Willie and Jamie on the trip, <clears throat> Pete Sari and a lot of the lib guys, super fun. I think Jesse Burton was on that trip as well. But um, yeah, great guys, great time in my life. But um, now it's, you know, it's, Interesting, as I kind of got into splitboarding, it kind of opened up incredible opportunities to work with brands that I wouldn't normally have worked with before. You know, probably the best one is Patagonia. Um, Cliff Bar, I work with Hester Gloves. I work with Yeti Coolers. Um, I work with Varney. Um, uh, Union Mindings as well. And yeah, it's been Protector Winners, the nonprofit, but um, incredible opportunity to work with these brands. Uh, Joan Snowboards, obviously, is the big one. Wouldn't be anywhere without those guys. But um, yeah, I'd probably say working with Jones and both Patagonia, they've kind of stuck to their guns on kind of doing things their way. Um, and I think there's something to be said about that, kind of staking to making a product that you know you kind of have an idea of what you want. Um, obviously, Jones with Jeremy kind of being the spearhead of that making boards um, for kind of in, entail what you want to use them for. Um, came out some really rad products. Um, we'll just kind of touch on the Hovercraft, which is kind of this board behind me. Um, it's kind of my split of choice. Um, have a project that's going to be coming out next year with those guys. So look out for that. But uh, the Hover is this incra insane, crazy shape that kind of simplified down um, kind of a somewhat swallowtail, but I remember being at like the deeper premiere in Salt Lake or some shit. And all of a sudden Dmitry Malovich, which is like a legend, kind of a Willy Wonka dude from Utah that's super recluse, winter six snowboards. Um, but yeah, he just came up <clears throat> to Jeremy and was like, dude, what is up with this shape? He was tripping on it. And I don't think he like said that about a board in like who knows how long. Just came out of the woodwork and said that. Mm -hmm. Something to be said about, you know, paying attention to shapes and so yeah and working with chris on the surf series there's been some rad stuff coming out of jones lately um but patagonia would probably be the big one and the one that i'm most stoked to work with and the brand that i've seen kind of put their put themselves out there in a way you know that obviously they've been a privately run company so they can in a sense do that but then also just putting the environment first you know and there's something to be said about Fat Tire is another one that I've worked with over the years. Um, Fat Tire has been great because they're just kind of not afraid to be like, oh, dude, we're going to make this beer that basically it was like a beer that was like burnt hops or something. It was called like scorched earth. It was basically like, <laughs> this is how beer is going to be in the future if we don't like, mm. you know, think about how our agriculture is going and how we're growing these hops. So it was basically like, this is, beer is going to cost a hundred bucks in the future. And this is what it's going to taste like. So mm. if you want freaking good stuff, you better freaking pay attention yeah. to that stuff. So I love brands that are willing to put themselves out on the line. And then essentially back to Patagonia, working with them closely on their product and just something that Mike mentioned. It's like, it's really interesting to think about your layering system and kind of 
This is more on some granola kind of crunch talk. I want to hear it. This is a question. I was curious earlier. Yeah, Yeah, this is something that, you know, you think about in another skin track conversation where you're like, dude, I got so much time on my hand. It's like, what am I wearing? Mm -hmm. Am I sweating right now? Mm -hmm. It's like, what is going to work for the best for me? Like, one, I'm moving, and this goes all the way from like the articulation of the way the fit is on a on a garment all the Mm -hmm. way to what it's made out of, you Mm -hmm. know, and if it's breathable. And essentially you get down to where like, man, dude, you can actually wear like a layering system and actually have your base, your mid and your shell all work together. as like Mm -hmm. one unit. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're like, dude, I feel really good about my kit because Mm -hmm. I not only I look good, but it's working well. And there's something to be said about, you know, if it's a sticker job on your skateboard or your snowboard that you're like, dude, I'm going to ride better. Yeah. Because I'm looking down on this thing and I'm actually mm-hmm. liking it, but it's like a whole nother level when it's actually a product that's like actually yeah. going to enhance your time out there, going to allow you to be out there longer and it's going to maybe save your life because it's yeah. going to keep you dry. And the more you get into some of these tech, you know, sports and, you know, things that you need a little bit more gear and you need to like think about the gear a little bit more to do these things that you more like, oh, actually... I think I'm going to, you know, get this sick puffy because I'm going to need it when I get to the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. You know, I usually do, you know, I usually, to Chris's point earlier, it's like, you know, go, go light, start cold, be bold. Be be bold, start cold. Mm -hmm. Because you're going to (laughs) usually I actually came up with that. (laughs) The first person to ever say that. Right. I like that. (laughs) Bomb hole. Definitely not. Right here. But that was like. Dude, I go pretty light when I'm out there because I'm always moving. I'm mm-hmm. always in motion. And you don't so what's your it. kit? I mean, what's your... I'll do... Go from the bottom layer. Yeah, I'll or, do kind of like, you know, just kind of the simple, some dope socks, um, kind of a base layer kit, and then kind of a three-layer gore pant. Um, I'm kind of on the Danny Stees right now where I'll run the Vole strap to kind of keep my shit tight on the bottom. Mm-hmm. I'm not like really baggy at the bottom. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, a lot of the pants do have like a cinch cord mm-hmm. so you can tighten it up. So I usually tend to go a little bit baggier fit on the pant. Um, but again, it's like three layer gore. So you want something that's going to be waterproof. You want something that has pit vents, mm-hmm. shed some, shed some air, shed some, um, when you get hot and then shut it down when you get cold. And then on top, just kind of like a nice merino tee. Mm-hmm. And then we have these sun hoodies at Patagonia. Those mm-hmm. are kind of gold. Yep. Those work for anything, any yep. sport. Yep. Um, and you can kind of use it as a it's a hoodie. Kind of just a nice um, kind of in between like a base layer and a mid, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then I'll wear like a, like a vest or kind of like a really lightweight, breathable mid layer. And then mm-hmm. I'll have my shell. Mm-hmm. And then this is kind of like a hack for me, which I really like, is I have a big puffy in my pack. Obviously, it's there for when I need it, but I throw that on when I get to the top of the peak. Mm-hmm. Over your shell? Over my shell, yeah. yeah. Transition. Just a quick warm-up. Exactly, And then dude. do you throw it back in the shred? Yeah, that's a nice move to where mm-hmm. you can kind of, if you're up there chilling, you're waiting on light, you're waiting on a you know, a sucker hole that comes, you could drop, mm-hmm. and a lot of times you're up there for a while. So yeah. it's, like, nice to be warm. Mm-hmm. And if you have to, like, take off your jacket, get that puffy on and off, and then it's, like, a whole other step that, you know, when the light hits, you want to be ready to drop. Yeah, probably know? a good uh, thing to have if someone gets injured, too. Exactly, Keep dude. Warm. Super good. But it's crazy to just one little point on that. Having product that works for multiple different things, like, that's kind of, like... Mm-hmm. 
a lot of people don't think about that. They make something that's like, okay, this is the the end thing that we're going to use this for. But I mean, that's another thing of like back to the basics and less is more is like have something that's going to be good for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Have that like multi-tool kit mm -hmm. that you can use for, you know, lots of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Love it. I get a question. Split boarding. Um, <clears throat> I run like a pipe glove for the like touring and then like transitioning, like having a more of a utilitarian style glove and then <clears throat> throw on some like mittens for the, the down. Do you do that or do you run one pair of gloves? No, I usually have like some pretty fatty mitts that yep. are kind of my, these Hestra ones are like extreme mitts. They're kind of, love them. Love to design one with those guys at some point. Mm -hmm. They're dope. Yeah, um, good stuff. Yeah, leather gloves. But, uh, and then I'll kind of do like, almost like a little sleeping bag glove for the up. You know, some, something light to your point. It's like when you're going up, you don't really want something heavy. So mm -hmm. it's nice to kind of have two pairs. What do you then, wear transitioning? Um, I'll just kind of keep that like little lightweight glove on. Yeah. Yep. Some kind of lightweight for mm -hmm. the up and, you know, um, and then something good for the down. But it's nice to have like a big warm set of gloves for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. For sure. If would, you can. Would you recommend uh, when you transition from a split to a solid, keeping your gloves on, taking them off, you're on top of a summit? I'd probably keep them on, you know, if you can, on those light gloves. Um, a lot of a lot of time we're finagling with our stuff and scraping mm -hmm. ice and all that. And you can take them off, but make sure to kind of keep your scene dialed. A lot of times the wind pick up to be quick, like 40 mile per hour gust and your shit's gone. Mm -hmm. You know, and that goes from like your gloves to like I've seen that with like a split board skin. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden your skin is just bam, dude, it's off the mountain. Yeah. It's on the other side and you're like, fuck, dude. Guess I'm screwed there. So it's like keep your scene dialed. And again, when you're like in an Abbey scenario and, you know, all of a sudden it's red alert, mm -hmm. like keep your kit with you or just make sure it's all in a tight package because mm -hmm. the last thing you want to do is like be, have your stuff all over the mountain. For sure. We're going to get into the pub beer crapshoot. Uh, what that means is that you've got to roll these two dice right here. And I'll tell you what you got to do. I got some theme music. Hold on. Let me find it. Okay. Welcome to the Pub Beer Crab Shoot. Pub Beer supports the show. Uh, if you're thinking about having a couple ice cold brewskis responsibly, um, support a brand that supports snowboarding. Vote with your dollar, as they say, and uh, support Pub Beer. And they got a killer team, 10 barrel. You know, they got Ben Ferguson on there. Mm -hmm. Bunch of rippers. So, uh, yeah, roll the dice and we'll tell you what you got to do. You ever played Farkle, Chris? Sparkle? Yeah. No. It's like a six dice game. We played on the glacier a lot. I've never played, no. Dude, I've never played we've either. Had it sometime. Really easy. More of so a. So we, we love dice, but we got two dice. What about Uno? You guys ever play Uno? Uno's great. Yeah, I'm, I'd be like love fucking Uno. up some Uno. Out All there. right, here we go. Ooh, we got a Goon Gear. Six. Goon Gear's a six. Goon Gear's a six. Plus. We got a Snake Eye. We got a one. So you got seven. This is a great question. Seven's a good number. Who's one of your favorite people to party with? <laughs> favorite people to party with? Um, we're going to go with Christensen. Yeah, he's definitely a, kind of a rogue one. <laughs> that um, all of a sudden he's like dancing with the stars or he's like on the side of a game, hanging out with stones of Queens of the Stone Age, just always kind of up for something. So we're mm. going to go with Chris. He's kind of a ledge in that sense. But, um, yeah, dude. Great answer. Awesome. Yeah. All right, we're also going to get into hot takes. We do this every episode. Hot takes is presented by Oakley. Uh, I recently started wearing a brain bucket, a helmet, from the Oakley Mod 1 Pro. 
Uh, the Oakley Mod 1, also a great option, a little bit lighter. Uh, and then I run the Oakley Line Miner goggles. They're insane. The prism lens, um, been really, really happy with that product. And, and a little, little fun fact, I run like a beanie underneath. That's the key. I run like one, like a thin kind of scully beanie underneath. Mm -hmm. And then my setup with my goggles and my, my helmet is just dialed in. So, uh, Oakley supports the show. Uh, we really appreciate them. So if you want to support them, uh, go right ahead. And with that being said, we're going to get into hot takes now. First question, Michael Jordan, greatest of all time, GOAT, um, to you in snowboarding, both male and female, who you got? Oh, man, I've been thinking about this one. So many GOATs out there. Um, yeah, Michael Jordan, LeBron, but yeah, just one and one. I'm going to go, I'm going to go like kind of wild here. Okay. We're going Johan Olofsson. Wow. That's sick. Yeah. Johan's a beast. Makes yeah. sense the way you ride, too. Yeah, we're going to go with Johan because he kind of like took that inspo from Craig and Tom Burt, some of the other heavies, and kind of put a little spin on Major it. Major power. Right? Yeah, I think a lot. Of, it's kind of rad how a lot of folks came from pipe and then kind of went on to kind of bring it into mountain, mm -hmm. you know, blob out. A lot of folks. Travis. Like, Travis, for sure, dude. B. Ferg. Aaron Werner. And then for women, we're going to go with Victoria Jules. Mm. Oof. Yeah, we're going to kind of keep it on that, uh, that She's same, incredible. same level for sure. Yeah, yeah. A lot of insane lines from her and just incredible style. And Yeah. Art, we got a hard-hitting question. Art or sport? Is snowboarding art or sport? We're going to art. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to art. You know that earth sticker? It says art in the middle. <laughs> yeah, like earth, E-A-R-T-H. <laughs> yeah, you Weren't you talking about Shark recently? Or is that, yeah. your, is that your new... Uh... Oh, I tried to get vanity plates yeah. for the limo to say Shark, and it was either taken or rejected, but when I submitted them... What'd you get? It got declined. Uh, soft log. We went with soft log. <laughs> also so, really yeah. well. Yeah, so pretty good. Kind of a Love choose it. your own adventure. It could be... Um, it's kind of a diarrhea or whiskey dick reference, really. So uh, anyway, keep it moving. Not about the soft log right now. Uh, okay, so um, art or sport. Okay, next one is most underrated. What do you got? Most underrated. We're going to go with my homie Stratton out in Bend. He's the dude that's been on the bike, biking to shred every day. Oh, um, yeah. Kind of a savage, dude. I know a lot of the Bend homies know him, but um, yeah. Let's get him into the mix. Okay, next question. Biggest beast on the skin track? Biggest beast on the skin track? Jeez, dude. Um Biggest beast on the Skinner. Um, dude, I can't really think about him right now. We'll probably go Jones. Yeah, Jones is kind of a he's kind of a sandbagger on the skin track. He's kind of one of those ones that really like kind of reserves. And all of a sudden, end of the day, 4 p.m., it's getting dark, and he's like seeing something else to go ride. And he's like, dude. But he kind of like sandbags you in a sense where he's like makes you talk him into doing it. So we're like, damn, dude, I guess we're going up that thing. Which I love that. It's rad to see someone that still has energy in the tank mm -hmm, at that mm -hmm. point of the day. Especially hanging with you because you're a psychopath. <laughs> okay, steel, steel or powder? <sighs> Dude, we're going pow. I love steel for sure. Love steel, but we're going pow at this point. But um, yeah, first fun fact, first shot I ever got in a mag was on a wood wood log, soft log in the pipe at Super <laughs> Pipe Camp. That's so dope. No pun. Um 
Best style ever. Who you got? Uh, best style ever? Jeez, dude. Oh, my God. Um, best style ever? I'm going to go Craig. Salido. Yeah. Good answer. Uh, best snowboard video ever made, in your opinion? Best snowboard video ever made, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> These geez, are easy questions. Dude. Just throw on some easy ones. We're going Meltdown Project. Yeah, we're going to keep it on like kind of the greats. I think they're important to like see what people are about. It's like, yeah, it's, no, it's, I love it's, it. It's like his answer to Johan, like being like, it's like t- tells you can tell a lot about someone, yeah. you know? I love it. Uh, okay, next question is best board graphic ever, in your opinion. These are all to you. You know, right. it's like this yeah, is best like, board graphic. Like, who hit, you know, what's your favorite? You, I think about that because everybody's arguing, oh, this yeah, person's right? the greatest of all time. It's like, Who's your greatest of all time? Like, who's yours? You know what I mean? That's what we're asking. Totally. Best board graphic of all time. Oh, my God, bro. There's so many good ones. Um, I think I'm going to go with Mike's with the little fighting <laughs> Irish guy. Yeah, <laughs> That's sick. That was binding, but I appreciate Yeah, I was going to say that's a Drake. That was binding. a binding, yeah. Drake's great. Yeah, Thank I kind of like... Icon kind of like mm-hmm. logos. It's pretty skate in a time of, of yeah, skate. yeah. On bindings, at least. right? Yeah, I'm kind of on a like an Irish kick right now. Mm-hmm. I like to go to Ireland in the summer. Sweet. So, yeah, I'm gonna Thank go with you. that. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Uh, then we got best method. Oof, that's a new one. We just added, added that. Best method, dude. Question. That is a solid question. Oh man. In dude. your opinion, we're gonna go with Ferg. Wow, new nice. gen. Yeah, it's new gen. Yeah, Papa nice. Ferg. Yeah. He's got a tough method. He really he does, kicks dude. it out. Yeah, he's it's been in the mix lately, so it's good. You know, it's a low key method. I'm just gonna derail for a yeah. second. One of the best methods on planet Earth, Brock Crouch. Really? Like Brock's? Unreal. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, saw, I saw him do one actually recently. <clears throat> I was impressed. He, I like how he holds melon, holds melon, holds melon, kicks it up, man. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. like, those are my favorite. Okay. Um, what do we got left? Pants over or under the high back? Under. Respect. Uh, you go heliboarding with three people. Good times. Just wiggling down the snow cameras. Mm-hmm. Could be anybody. Could be a boarder. Totally. Could not be a boarder. Could be a celebrity. Yeah. Could be anybody. You just imagine they could, they could be in a house. Right, right, right. We're going to go... <sighs> Man. I think we're going to bring Yvonne Chouinard up there just for some banter. And then we're going to bring Jones just to see if he's still got it. <laughs> and yeah. then um, we'll bring we'll bring Chris because he never really gets to heli. Sick. <laughs> Respect, dude. <laughs> yeah, get me in that. <laughs> get me in the bird. Let's go. He's talking about Christensen, dude. Oh. But you can come, Sorry, too. Man. Oh, I you thought you were talking about me. You man. can take my seat, bro. No, it's all good. No, take Chris. Are you talking about Chris. Chris or Chris Chris? Well, he's been calling me Chris, too. He's been calling well, me Chris. I mean, nobody calls me Chris. I just wanted to clarify. Thank you. It's well, rad how there's so many mics this year that were just like so on topic, and there's always a lot of Chris's. It did Forrest was so popular. Right now. I'm actually gonna end this fucking interview. I'm so fucking mad. I'm so mad. I'm not going Hellion. We're f- this is fucking. This interview's over. Chris, I would take you. You're gonna take me. Take my spot, bro. I'll take you three times. Screw everybody else. Mm, just yeah, that would be fun, Mike. Let's do three it. You trips. know what? Let's spitefully do it in spite of Forrest. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the top of Denali next time he's Beat him to the top. (laughs) Denali to the top of Denali. Funny to see you guys up here. You guys walk up here? I just got (laughs) dropped (laughs) off. They're like 20 steps away and we're landing on top. (laughs) (laughs) With like turkey sandwiches and pizza and shit. That's so good. 
McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Okay. Um, beaver slap. Oh, if you were in the lift line, do you hit those things, or you just... What's your vibe on that? Can I go semi-beef? Yeah, semi-beef. Yeah, just, just like a... Yeah, like a little... Yeah. Okay, worst trend. What do you got? Worst trend in snowboarding. Not caring about the planet. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Good answer. All right, Chris. So I I brought you this present here. I've been trying to think about rad and stuff to provide for the show and give back to the sport. You guys do a lot, and I really appreciate it. Um, keep it going, dude. Big fan. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate but I brought this book, and this is kind of a good one. Not only for Utah, but also the environment, and one that kind of, uh, it's a great just common ground, and it's the Monkey Ranch Gang by Edward Abbey. And this was something that uh, I read a while back, and something that I kind of reference every couple of years with a reread, and kind of looks like a thick one, thick boy, but it's actually pretty deep with, um, it's got a couple, it's got a planet on the front, and it's got a couple of wrenches. So it's kind of about uh, going against the status quo and kind of being a punk rock in a in a world of uh, non-punk rockers. Thank you for the gift. I really yeah, appreciate that, and I will read this. Wonderful and, uh, book. And have you read it, Mike? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Great uh, author. Is it, uh, fiction, non-fiction? Well, yeah. it, it comes off as fiction, but I think there's a lot of truth. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's a. It's definitely kind of an out there one, but you kind of bring it back to you're like, oh, any of my homies could be doing that, you know? Okay, almost, so almost like Scotty Whitlake's on a path similar right now, just kind of out there being a Rambo. Cool, but doing Sick. it yourself. But um, yeah, it's kind of b- based in Salt Lake and kind of based off the environmental movement on um, taking taking it in your own hands when Fuck it kind yeah. of gets out of control. So. Yeah, based on true story. I appreciate that. That's a good. That's a really good gift of the book. So, I thank I thank you for that, and I will definitely read that. Um, and before we get out of here, um, and also I'd like to say, like I'm, you know, I I don't actually spend a lot of time in that space. Like my, I'm my mind isn't there a lot, and so it'll be good for me to to explore that. Nice. And so I'm excited to to read that. Sick. Um, <clears throat> so. Um, before we wrap it up, we always do thank yous. You want to thank anybody before we, we get out of here? Yeah. Um, just thank to my parents for sure. You know, um, my dad's been a big mentor for me, um, on the environment and on life. Um, thank my mom for being athletic as a kid and kind of being open and, you know, driving us to surf contests when I was young. And yeah, I just want to thank all my friends for sure. Big time. Um, Utah, California, Northwest, everywhere, you know, all, all around the world. Snowboarding is kind of that great connector that we all have, and it's rad and beautiful that we all embrace um, sharing that knowledge and, you know, lifting everybody up. So, and big shout-out to my sponsors. You know, I wouldn't be able to do it without those guys. So it's rad to kind of continue the relationships with those guys and um, – support athletes as they evolve and keep lifting them up and creating that space to uh, get them out there. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Mike, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Forrest, Mike. it was a pleasure to hang out with you. Likewise, brother. Yeah. It's been a fun chat. It's been awesome. Uh, and so thank you guys so much for everybody that supports the show, everybody that listens, everybody that's Patreon, all of our sponsors. We really, really, really appreciate you guys so much. And, uh, Once again, thanks for coming on, Forrest, and uh, appreciate you. And we'll have another episode coming at you next Wednesday. Over and out from the bomb hole.
for it.